Hey guys, welcome to End on End. I'm Brian. I'm Jeff. And today we are talking about the void side of the void faith or faith void split. And this one is a beast. It's a beast. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. You want to hear something funny though? I know before we even get into how you doing, sure. is uh, somebody brought up the fact to me that if you actually look at the matrix and the serial numbers, that the void side is actually side A. Really? Yes. How about that? Ah, well, that would explain why uh, Chris kept referring to it as the void faith split. Yeah, but Besides nobody says that, right? I mean, no, nobody does. <laughs> nobody says that. I mean, even the Discord when they, they released the CD, it's Faith Void. I mean, the band even called themselves Faith Void. But huh? um, anyway, that's the kind of information that people tune into this show for. <laughs> Inside <laughs> baseball, right there. That's right. Cool. Well, uh, so how are you doing, Jeff? What have you been up to since we talked? Yeah. No. Thanks. I'm I'm doing great. Um, I just got back from my first band practice in about three and a half months and it just felt great to have the bass in my hand and playing music felt so good and um you as a bass player will appreciate that i still have my calluses wow which was nice because i was kind of dreading that's impressive i haven't yeah i haven't played as much as i as i should so that's um yeah i'm that's a great thing and i i got a couple of uh records this week that I want to tell you about all discord related but first before I get into that what's what's been up with you this last week not too much man just uh doing the research uh reading books listening to music you know I we've always got to think a few episodes ahead so talking to all kinds of people and also you know getting uh working on uh getting this uh different podcast going as well it's gonna gonna be called out my way yes named after meat puppets but you know about a more fringe and outsider music i guess you could call it uh people on the outskirts of even the underground stuff so that's been a little side i guess side gig of mine been working on that I've uh, been itching to play like you, man. I, I'm so jealous you got got to do it. Uh, but it gives me inspiration. I can't wait to get my hands bloody again. And uh, I've got some people lined up and just got to get that first practice going too. I'm excited. But what 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 are these uh, records you, you speak of? Yeah, I'm excited to hear your uh, Outsider podcast because I already know one of the people you plan on interviewing and I'm a big fan of that person. So oh, yeah. I'm excited yeah. for that. So a little teaser. So I'm going to tell you about the records I got, and this is going to be such a seamless transition between the three records I got. It's just going to blow your mind completely. <laughs> this is going to be total pro here. So first of all, have you heard of um, Radio Rahim? Yes. The label? Yes. The record label. Yeah. Uh -huh. So they're a record label. If They've been around about seven or eight years. And they basically repackage like classic, uh, hardcore, you know, hard to get stuff that's been out of print forever. And they put together just the most fantastic packages like heavy duty vinyl, you know, gatefold covers, you know, inserts. I, I got um, a release about last year. They put out this, this New York hardcore band, The Psychos, and they did such a great job with that. But their latest release and just arrived in the mail today is United Mutation. Yeah, I got it's it, a, man. 
You got? Oh, you have it already. Oh yeah. I when I saw it, saw the first like kind of listing of it coming out, I ordered it as well. Yeah. It's yeah. Super so super great packaging. It, it really just came show. out last month. It came out last month. Yeah, it's a beautiful package. It's called Dark Self Image. And it's got all the early United Mutation sessions, demo sessions, and all that. And it's got, it's got the, uh, what is it, the Fugitive Family 7-inch that we'll be covering in about a month or so. So I'm going to save it. I put it in the shelf on the racks, <laughs> and I'm not even going to listen to it until until we get a bit, little bit closer. So I, sure. I got that. Then I got a record that came in the mail that you had recommended to me. Hmm, and, that is the, and that is the Emma Peel 7-inch. Ah, yeah. Avenging Punk Rock Godfathers. So <laughs> since you're the one who told me about it, why don't you tell the folks out there what uh, who Emma Peel was? Well, so somehow I slept on them too. I found out about them way after the fact, but, uh, you know, Danny Ingram, who we've had on the show a couple of times already, is the drummer, great, great drummer. You've got uh, Steve, Steve Hansen on bass you know i'm sure people know who he's from minor threat gi etc uh i've got gosh who so you're gonna have to remind me the guitarist because uh rob frankel rob frankel who i was not familiar with i guess he does he's got one other release with another band but i love his guitar playing i'll tell you that like it's so i don't know i hate to use the word mature but it's like you know, it, it's what, you know, it really is what aging punk rockers should sound like. It's still got bite, it's still got edge and hunger to it, but it, but it's well played without showing off, without being too dry. Oh, so good. And, you know, who's the singer? John Stab. I mean, what a lineup. It's, it's a great lineup. Uh, it came out in 93, two songs, and... To me, it really sounds like um, it sounds like a couple of songs that could have been on the last government issue record. It sounds very Crash Era to me. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, to me, it sounded like a mix of, say, that era GI and what I kind of hoped Dag Nasty would de- develop into. Yeah, it's it's a great record, and it came out on Tragic Life Records, which is actually a Staten Island label. And mm. they must have had some relationship with John Stab because they had also done one of the reissues of Make an Effort. But they yeah. put out a bunch of Staten Island bands, uh, Mudfoot. They put out a band who was actually from Pennsylvania called Stand Up. Who Sadly, uh, two of the guys in that band were killed in a car crash um, in the early 90s. Jesus. Uh, Fallacy and one of my favorite bands from Staten Island ever called Sleeper, who... Hmm. Uh, became Serpico because there was some, I think like a Brit pop band called Sleeper and they had to change their name. But uh, Sleeper leads me into the second seven inch I got. So the band that one of the bands that preceded Sleeper was called Rule of Thumb. And it was the original singer and Sleeper and the rhythm section, the bass player and the drummer. And they put out a 12 inch in 89 called The First Mistake. And then they put out a seven inch in 1990 that had two songs on it. Uh, education and don't look down and that seven inch had a guest vocalist on it singing lead on both of those songs and that is dave smalley oh i had no idea that this record even existed until a few weeks ago and i had to get it 
Yeah, I had to get it, and it sounds anyone out there who knows Sleeper, um, to me, it's it sounds a lot like them. I mean, you know, they're kind of in the same ballpark as what we know Smalley for anyway. They're a very melodic punk rock band, or you know, melodic post hardcore band, whatever you want to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Really good, really great songwriting, um, and Dave Smalley's vocals are just perfect. So. It's uh, two songs. I like the song Education a little bit better than Don't Look Down, but uh, that was a fun one to have. And I'll also just reveal right now before we get into it is that I have been talking to Dave Smalley. I hope to get him on board for this, but we're going to do like this mammoth four-part interview where we're going to just completely cover his entire career from DYS right to the present day. Uh, We'll do that. The first one around the time that we do the Can I Say episode, of course. And um, I'm going to throw a few things at him that he's not prepared for. And this is going to be one of them. So we'll see what he has to say about it when the time comes. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it should be great. It should be it should be a lot of fun to do. And he wants to do it. It's just, you know, we're just working out, working out the fine points of it. Definitely, definitely. And it's long overdue, man, to have a in-depth thing of, of his whole career. So, you know, kudos to you for being the one to do it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to do it. I'm a big fan of Dave's, and I've known him personally for a while, so uh, I'm excited to to do that one when the time comes. Yep. Yeah, and well, and so that reminds me, since you mentioned those, uh, and and I've I've uh, just briefly interacted a little bit with the guy that put out uh, the Emma Peel and those other records you were mentioning, Rule of Thumb, etc. A guy named John Serpico online, and He's always posting some really good stuff. So on Facebook, and uh, you know, seems to to have been involved with a lot of good things. Was good friends with John Stab, etc. So, uh, well, there you go. Well, that well, then that's the time. Yeah, then that's the time because John Serpico is John Lisa. Okay, okay. And John Lisa was he was not in, uh, he was not in Rule of Thumb, but he was the main guitar player songwriter in Sleeper. Oh, there you go. Who then became Serpico. So that's it. And that all yeah okay so that makes sense so that was probably his label and there you there we go we just figured it all out <laughs> mystery solved yeah mystery solved yeah and so uh <laughs> another dag nasty this is going to tie in as well another dag nasty singer and this is going to dovetail into void uh on this episode we've got uh john seibert weighing in on void he grew up with them he he released the uh condensed flesh ep that came out in the 90s and uh he's put out some really interesting stuff too but he he put out he sent me a couple of seven inches of this band that isn't around anymore but was in the earlier part of uh the 2000s called the downer boys and they're just kind of like the uh, unho- unholy godchildren avoid pure uh, chaos on two legs, you know, really good stuff. And I listened to one of the seven inches and really enjoyed it. Had yet to put on the second one, but apparently on the second one, the guest vocalist for all the tracks is Sean Brown. So I'm excited to check that out. Oh, wow. I'm looking forward to hearing yeah, that. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> So, uh, should we get into a little bit of the history of, uh, this band called Void? Let's definitely do it. Uh, we covered some history already when we did 
flex your head, but it's we'll keep it quick, especially because we have a a certain guest who is actually in the band who will put all the meat on the bones. For sure. Uh, but Void, uh, okay, so Void were not from D.C. They were the first Discord band who were not strictly from D.C. They were from Columbia, Maryland, which was a suburb really more of, of Baltimore. Uh, they formed around 1980, uh, four high school kids. His vocalist, John Wiefenbach, bass player, Chris Stover, and drummer, Sean Finnegan, went to one high school. Guitarist, Bubba Dupree, went to another one. Uh, they took their name from the Black Sabbath song, Into the Void, and they played their first DC show at the Wilson Center. Uh, the first Wilson Center show, which is that famous, huge 15-band show that the Bad Brains put right. together. And that was in 1980. And just a little side note, you know, they were, they were I guess, a bit of outsiders to the scene. But uh, one thing that Sean Finnegan did that was significant is that the Dead Kennedys had been booked to play a place called The Bite, which I guess was uh, a bar or something. Mm -hmm. And a petition went around to get them to play the 930 Club instead, which was in all ages. And that was Sean Finnegan who organized that petition. And Jello Biafra got wind of it. And that's kind of what uh, it really impressed Biafra. And it kind of put DC on the map as far as he was concerned. So I just thought I would I would throw that out there. But they were, you know, they were outsiders to the DC scene. I think one thing we'll talk about, you know, that's interesting is that, you know, the Discord and, and kind of the story of Discord is tied into a bunch of people who all were in bands, bands broke up, and then they kind of realigned themselves, started new bands. So we're going to see the same names sort of come up over and over again in different bands. Void, however, was was a part of that. They were not a part of that mix of people. No. But uh, they did find fans in Ian and Henry and Bert Kiros, and they kind of brought them into the scene. They recorded two demo sessions. They had two demo sessions at the end of 1981. They did one in November at Hit and Run Studios and then one in December at Inner Ear. And those December sessions are what became known as the Condensed Flesh Demos. And those didn't actually see any sort of official release until long after the band broke up in 92, when I-95 Records put them out as a 7-inch. And we'll get to... I don't want to talk about the demos too much, because we're going to get a chance to talk about them when we hit Discord 171. Yeah, and John... Uh... John speaks just a little bit about those as well. Yeah. Great. So we'll leave it. We'll leave it to John for now, and we'll get our say uh, 15 years from now <laughs> when we hit Discord 171. Uh, the the three flexor head tracks came from those demo sessions, both of them. The split, the tracks for the split were recorded at Inner Ear again in the spring of '82. And the record, of course, we, we mentioned this last week, was released in September of 82. And this was really, other than the Flexor Head Tracks, the only actual le legitimate release that the band had when they were around. They played a farewell show in November of 82 at the Wilson Center, but ended up reconsidering and they kept going. And I'm going to keep going with this bio only because this is really the only chance we have to talk about Void until we talk about the earlier years later on. So... Just to finish up the Void story real quick, and I know uh, our guest gets into this more, but in mid-83, they actually had made a deal with Touch and Go, and they recorded an album called Potion for Bad Dreams, 
but they broke up before it was released. Touch and Go had a big deal going with the Butthole Surfers, and it never came out. And it never has come out to this day officially, but you can find it. Um, I found it. I gave it a listen. We could talk about it later. But the band had evolved. Uh, Members were going in different directions musically. Bubba was getting into glam rock, like Motley Crue, Hanoi Rocks. Sean Finnegan was getting into some hip-hop. I think Chris was more of like a like a motorhead, a metal guy. And a big reason for them going to Touch and Go was actually Sean Finnegan. And if you see some of those photos of, of Sean, you could see that his drum set is mammoth. Oh, yeah. He had a much, much bigger drum, drum set than a lot of the, the hardcore bands at that time. And he absolutely insisted on recording in a 24-track studio. And Corey Rusk was able to accommodate that. So that's kind of a big reason why they went to Touch and Go. Uh we could talk about it later again, you know, but the album is not what you hear on the split with the faith. It's definitely a little bit more metal. I, I kind of almost would compare it a little bit to what SSD was doing with Break It Up. But it did have it find its fans. The Melvins, White Zombie have professed their love for that album in some interviews. And the band basically broke up after that. They drifted apart. Chris and Sean went to school. Bubba wanted to get into glam rock. Things just began to drift apart. And really, Bubba is the only one who continued with music. He's played with uh, Soundgarden, Moby, David Grohl. I found a video on YouTube of him playing with um, Brant Bjork and the Low Desert Punk Band from 2015. And um, I I think that that's pretty a good place to kind of wrap up the story and let let, uh, Chris take over when we uh, get to the interview. So, anything uh, anything to add to that history? No, not really. I think that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, Bubba's played in quite a few things in the last few years, I guess. Uh, uh, that Brant, uh, was it Brant Bjorn? Is that how you say it? Uh, Brant Bjork. Brant Bjork, yeah. Like, he's played a lot with him and uh, has been active with that whole uh, desert desert rock scene i guess yeah and brant bjork he was in uh caius, right? he was in caius right was he was brant in uh fu manchu or am i getting uh he had some relationship with fu manchu no caius is caius is, no he was he was no i'm sorry i take mm-hmm. that back yeah brant bjork was he yeah he did did he wasn't fu manchu and fu manchu i mean so many of the songs on the void side both sides of this record really were covered by other bands ton of Void songs were covered by other bands, but I think one of the more interesting ones is Fu Manchu does a cover of Who Are You? Mm. And they definitely make it they definitely make it their own. Yeah, so I haven't heard that. Okay. Got some stuff to listen to. Yeah, for sure. But you know, this side definitely has its fans. Uh, you know, before we get into our opinions of it. You know, like Sub Pops, Bruce Pavitt has been quoted as saying that their side of their side of this record is one of the most intense records he has ever heard and you know i'm someone that really i'm just going to put this into your head now before we drop the needle i like to challenge conventional wisdom and there's two things about the void side of this record that i want to i want to play with a little bit and one thing is purely opinion and that is we mentioned this last week too is that overwhelmingly People hail the Void side as being this absolute Mount Rushmore sides of hardcore. 
so much better than the Faith side. Faith side isn't even worth listening to. And it's all about the Void side. So that's one piece of conventional wisdom I want to take up. And the other piece of conventional wisdom is that this is kind of like the first crossover record. That this was one of the earliest examples of metal uh, being toyed with in a hardcore context. So I kind of want to challenge that idea a little bit too. So I think that's what I got to say for now. And uh, I'll leave it to you. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I'm chomping at the bit to talk about this damn record. Uh, God, so much, so much to say. And I, I can't wait to, uh, to dive on those uh, propositions you just mentioned as well. But uh, first, let's hear from uh, the owner of I-95 Records, John Seibert. He has uh, done quite a bit in the scene. Uh, and if, you, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, uh, we even had him on uh, playing an acoustic cover of a Teen Idol song earlier in the uh, about five episodes ago, maybe. So, he, you know, he's an interesting guy. He does I-95. He was in the band The Undecided. Had had some good records in the uh, 80s. Was just on the outskirts of D.C. Put out Condensed Flesh EP. Uh, just, you know, this guy's... He grew up with the Void guys. He's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on even, even to, to, up till today. So, you know... Really key guy, really, really uh, genuine guy as well. So let's hear from him.
That's my pleasure to meet you. Yeah, yeah, good to meet you. Kind of semi for real now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I went to I went to grade school with Sean and um, Chris and uh, well, not John. I met him in, uh, in high school. Um, but like Sean and my Sean's parents and my parents were kind of in the same business. His dad was a builder, and uh -huh. my dad was uh, land title um, title company. And um, so um, Columbia, Maryland was brand new when we were younger, and so builders and title people made, you know, bank, you know, and, and, um, right. so his dad was a builder. And, um, so I knew Sean from growing up. Plus we went to private school to Catholic school together. So he was like in my parish, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he was you know, a little older. So it's just one of those things where I just knew the guy pretty much my whole life. And then, and then when I was in high school, he was like a couple of years older than me. His dad, he worked for his dad's construction company and, um, I worked for him part time, you know, but then I went to high school at Loyola High School in Towson, and that's where John went, and Chris went, and Sean went, and then Bubba went to Oakland Mills High School in Columbia. We were all the punks in Columbia, so it didn't really matter what high school you went to, because there were so few punks in Columbia that we all kind of just gravitated together and didn't give a shit about high school anyway. You know, the skaters and the punks from all the different high schools hung out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, back then, it's one of those things I've had conversations with and you know a couple of different people it's like you know back in the day anybody that you know dressed punk or had a skateboard you know you you talk to just because there's so few of you and you're like hey somebody else that's an alien like me <laughs> all right yeah so um like so void was really cool because you know, sean was like the one that like the cheerleader for pretty much the scene in Columbia. Yeah, he would go down to DC and, and drag everyone down there. He got to know Ian real well real early on. So he was kind of like the cheerleader, you know, like the guy and like they would play Rock Against Reagan and all those things. And but the thing about Sean was like for a drummer, he was he was the guy that wrote most of the lyrics, pretty right. much all the lyrics. He would walk out from behind the drums and grab the mic and talk to the crowd. You know? <laughs> he'd walk out and be like, What's up? You know? <laughs> That's John wasn't really great with the crowd banter. He was mm -hmm. good with, with screaming and going nuts when the when the music was going. John would do some a lot of the talking, you know, That's not a lot, but yeah, once yeah. in a while he come from behind the drums and come out and talk. Yeah, I remember you know? the, the couple of times I saw them. Uh, you know, John would just kind of stalk back and forth, like waiting for the song to start. You know, to explode. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So, how would you how would you describe? Uh, you know, the different personalities of the guys, like, you know, obviously, like you said, uh, Sean was ringleader, the guy with the vision for the band. What what were the other guys? How would you describe the other dudes? Well, you know, Chris, he was, he's a outgoing dude. So he was, you know, a skater also at the time. And uh, so he just knows tons of people and very personable person. Mm -hmm. So he's like the guy you talk to have a, a normal conversation with you know, Bubba, he was kind of shy. So he kind of really mostly spoke, spoke through his guitar. Hell, there was a lot going on in there the way well, he played yeah. his guitar. He did most, most of the artwork too, right? Um, he did some, a lot of it, but so a lot of it was cut out of like books they found in the library um, with medieval stuff, you know, and they just uh -huh. Xeroxed it out, you know. The song Think, uh -huh. that's on the album it's just cut out lines out of the newspaper and it fits 
And and yeah. that's the one thing about Void that is also is something that's mesmerizing about them. Like I was saying, is they had this magic about them, but you can't explain it. Like, <laughs> what is it that made it so magic? You know, magical. It just seems like this cacophony of me- of sound and mm-hmm. and anger and angst all mixed together. You know, with the music and the lyrics, all fit the music. Definitely, they're on paper especially at the time it really shouldn't have worked but it's perfect you know <laughs> right well the thing about void was funny is like they were a band but there was a lot of us were all in this group together you know and uh-huh. you know they were in the band void but we were all together in in this group of, of punks you know were you aware where of the band the moment they started since uh since you knew those guys early on yeah it was almost it was like funny it was like oh they started a band cool you know <laughs> like, whatever we'll see what happens you know yeah and uh and here's what I, was, I guess i was getting at is that we were all a group of friends so even though they were a band they weren't like a four-piece gang that stuck together and were insular you know what i mean it was there's something about that that because of that the band itself void some nights were hit or miss, you know what I mean? Cause like sometimes we'd be having so much fun. It's like, Oh, the band's got to play, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, and uh, so when they started doing their demos, you could hear the progression, you know, like on the, the sessions, mm-hmm. which has the two first demos on it. And then I actually released the second demo, Condensed Flesh on 995 a bunch yep. of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, which um, was like a really important record at the time, like really kind of helped capture that, that moment of time of, you know, what happened where they just went from being a, a band that were cool, but were still within the lines of hardcore for the most part into the crazy beast they became. Yeah. It's, it was wild because like all of a sudden they started playing a lot and practicing a lot, you know, went from this loose group to then they started playing and practicing a lot. So by the time they got to recording that session for the the Void Faith, some people say Faith Void, but we've always said Void Faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, for by the time they got to recording that, they were a well-oiled machine. I mean, they were on it mm-hmm. by accident, <laughs> just because he started playing so much. And when they recorded that, it, it like I said, it was a hit or miss. They could have missed. They could have gone in that day and missed. Oh wow! Ah, whatever. We had too many <laughs> beers. You know, no big deal. And they would have released it, and it would have been like, no big deal. But for some reason, that day, after you know years of playing those songs and everything, that day they hit a home run. That's what's so beautiful about it is you can hear that home run when you listen to. It. Yeah, every note, every squall, feedback, all of it just like really creates this whole otherworldly atmosphere that's just so amped up and ferocious. His guitar work was amazing. And that guitar was like, I don't think it was that expensive of a guitar, the first one. I think that's why it fed back so much, you know? <laughs> then he got a, um, then he got this blue, I don't even know what kind it was, but we call it the heavy metal guitar. Yeah, yeah. And then Sean got the double kick drums. And yeah. that's when they started drifting away and started doing the, the more metal kind of stuff. Right in that in-between time and right towards when they were going that direction was... I'm pretty sure I saw them twice at at uh, Wilson Center, and it was within that period because Bubba was starting to, you know, dress more glammy, and uh, right. I remember the drums were really, you know, really large drums, and he had huge <laughs> drumsticks, and <laughs> so. yeah, 
those drumsticks that they were fake i mean he used regular drumsticks but he brought them and always you know act like he was using them all the time like, no way. He had regular <laughs> yeah oh that's funny yeah i think they were a display and he grabbed them somewhere from somewhere and the th- another thing about void live was a lot of times because they were so chill compared to like the rest of the guys like they they you know we drank you know what i mean mm-hmm. and smoked weed you know uh-huh. so we chilled a little harder than than them they would a lot of times wind up playing after the headliner like they'd play after jfa or they would play uh-huh. after the faction or whatever and yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of the young kids or whatever would have to leave so i would see void we i've seen void at the end of the night you know and the place would be emptying out sometimes huh because they were they were, they were partying partying during the yeah other and then funny. they'd be like well jfa you just go on you know what i mean and jfa would go on and then everyone would be like oh the show's over you know and they go oh, i guess boy <laughs> didn't play you know and boy would be like well, where's everyone going you know and they'd come out and start playing and oh. uh and a couple times you know the playing that, that metal stuff you know uh-huh. after playing like a couple of the really fast stuff they'd start playing the metal stuff and you know People didn't sometimes relate to it and would get pissed, mm-hmm. you know. Another thing they would do live would they would play their thir- their you know minute and thirty second song, and then there'd be like five minutes of tuning, oh, and yeah. Yeah. and then like you know Chris would start playing the bass line to Crazy Train, you know, <laughs> and then you know Bubble would start playing it too, and then like all right, all right, all right, and then they play the next song, <laughs> and then they do it again, you know, and then in between yeah. the next song, they play four minutes of. You know, I loved it. It was awesome. One time at the Wilson Center, Bubble was, you know, headbanging while he was playing and he hit his nose on John's head and oh, it instantly burst in the blood. Okay. And, um, so he had to lay down on the stage with, with rags in his nose for like five minutes and, he, you know, more like 10 while people were like holding his nose in the middle of the show. Oh, and uh, so he wanted to get up and finish the show, but it was like one of those intense moments where it's like his just face exploded with blood and oh everyone's God. like, whoa, you know, they're really <laughs> into this, you know? Right. But yeah. I was like, what the hell's going on? He said, oh, I hit his nose on John's head. Like, I think you remember, I think you saw on the 80s DC hardcore kids page or whatever uh-huh. that I had posted a flyer for a show that included half Japanese. Oh, yeah. um, October 30th, 83, and it had Void on it. And someone else posted the photo, I mean, the poster without Void on it. And it started a debate, like, what happened to Void that night? So I reached out to Chris, and he said, oh, yeah, one of, the, uh, one of us got grounded that night. <laughs> so either Bubba or, or one of them, I think it was Bubba, got grounded that night. He couldn't go <laughs> to the show, so he had to cancel. Oh, shit. Yeah, he... he uh... He said that there's a number of shows that they're on the flyer, but that they, they didn't play for reasons such as that. <laughs> yeah. But all that contributes to the, what Void is and that craziness in that album. I, John wasn't a singer, so I knew that when they started going into more like the singing kind of thing that he would probably not want to be doing that, you know? You know, by the time um, they recorded that, you know, they were all out of high school and kind of just going separate ways. And Bubba is a, a serious musician, you know, went on to play in a number of bands, you know, Earth 18, he played with Moby for a little bit. Um, that album that would, didn't come out, I was cool with it, you know, because it, it did have enough of the hardcore sound, like Slow Burn and a couple of those songs sounded like the old Boyd. Uh-huh. But but I we all kind of knew that if it was going to go in that direction, that it really wasn't going to last, you know, Void wasn't going to be Void, you know. 
So if it was going to go that way, it was going to break up or Void would be part-time, you know, or, or they would just do Void once in a while, you know. Right. But then life got in the way, I think. You know, which is what, what happened to a lot of the DC bands, you know. That's why so many of them were so short-lived. People going to college, people going different, moving away, doing different things, yeah. Oh, shit. So those guys were crazy, man. I mean, they, <laughs> they their sound of their music is as much as part of their personality. All of them fit that sound as a person, as people, and as a collective. You know. <laughs> so, how did you come to put out that record, the Condensed Flesh uh, Sessions? Well, me and Sean were actually going to do it together because I, I, you know, I had it forever, and those guys, you know, weren't playing anymore. And um, I was like, man, we, we need to put this out before it gets bootlegged. So he and I worked on, you know, the art and everything. And then he just kind of like lost interest in it. He was like, yeah, man, you can do whatever you want, you know? <laughs> so, so then I, uh, so that basically started the, the record label, I-95 Records with that, you uh-huh. know, as the cornerstone. We just, I just felt like you guys got to put this out. We got to put it out. You know, you got to put it out so that um, it doesn't get bootlegged. And if you listen to the first demo, I mean, you can hear him partying basically in the studio, you know? <laughs> The, the one that's on sessions, the hit and yeah. run. I mean, they're like, you can hear them basically drinking in the studio. No. Well, yeah. Like that's one thing. Like, tell me about like when you heard that they had actually broken up. I just remember that, that when they went to Detroit to record that album, um, like John had like ridden in the back of a pickup truck or something and lost his voice. And then the, the guy that was producing it was like a pro uh-huh. And he was one of those guys that would like make a a performer um, record his guitar line fifteen times, and he'd pick the best one when he went down the mix. He he got John to record, you know, fifteen takes for each song. And if you listen to the the demo or whatever that never got released, he doesn't have a voice. I mean, if you listen to it, he's, uh-huh. he has lost his voice. He's screaming through laryngitis, huh. and um, you can hear it. Like he's yeah, 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 barely scream. And there's some kind of, you know, wasn't there some kind of weird effect on it too or something? They the tried to, to fix it, you know, like when he's like, um, like, like on Spiral Staircase, you know, but he, he lost his voice. So he recorded that with, with no voice, with, a, with basically laryngitis. After that, when, when they came back, even though they played a little bit longer, you kind of felt that there was, it was different, you know, like they mm-hmm. were kind of after that kind of felt like it was drifting you know like like that sucked you know yeah. fuck this shit kind of you know and, and, then, and then not allowing to release it kind of created tension you know and and i think that kind of you know i'm not saying it contributed i don't really know but uh-huh. from an outsider looking in it seemed like that trip kind of and you know when it, when a band gets that way like like the band members then start bringing their friends to the concert and they start hanging with their friends and not the band you know and, mm-hmm. and behind backstage or whatever out front or whatever you know yeah, and yeah. that's when it's that's when it's different. It's like, oh, the band's not even hanging out together. Yeah. You know? So yeah. yeah, I think that that trip to Detroit kind of you could sense it when they got back. Do you remember when you heard actually heard that the band's done? I remember hearing that Bubba had quit, and and the guitarist from my band, Tim Strachna from Undecided, um, when he quit, they had had a show booked or something like that, and just out of a knee jerk reaction. They were like, Tim, you got to play guitar for Void. And, and he was like, oh, my God. And he was, like, trying to get ready and, like, and mentally like that. But yeah. it was kind of just like, 
just kind of like talk, you know. But that's the first I heard about it. It was, it was like, oh, Bubba's quit, you know. And then mm-hmm. it was just like, yeah, well, that's the way it was going to go. And Let's go you- skate the ramp. <laughs> guest is Matt Weeks. He sang on some of my favorite records of the 90s with his bands Current, Calvary, and Ottawa. Not only that, but he also was the person behind the record label Council Records, which released such great bands as Yafik Koto, Fourth Rotor, Chino Horde, Ordination of Aaron, Uh, Not to mention a couple records by my old band, The Shivering. So, uh, let's hear Matt Weeks on Void. When I approached you about about possibly, you know, talking on the show about something, you you immediately said uh, that Faith Void was the one you wanted to you wanted to dive into. Uh, Why is that? I mean, it's just for me. It's just one of those classic coming of age records that I have a lot of memories of. Uh, early high school time for me. I just think it. Uh, you know, it's just it, it's one of those records that kind of it, it's a fork in the road in terms of hardcore and punk for me. And like, as as certain things on the, particularly on you know what was coming out of uh, Washington D.C. at the time, kind of went more in the faith vein right like uh-huh. there was also a part of me that was interested in sort of that unbridled chaos that was lurking on the other side <laughs> and you know so it it opened me up to 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 newer things i think too and i just have a lot of memories of that album um in the, you know in the mid 80s growing up yeah and w- would you say so you were more of a at least then a, a faith side guy I mean, I think originally when I got that record, I I think without a doubt, I probably would have said that for sure. I mean, Faith was just, you know, it was just more what I was used to or, or similar to the music I was enjoying at the time. And I think I had read about Ignition, like in Maximum Rock and Roll or something that they were a band now and were coming out with some stuff within the next year. Right. 
because uh, I think I'd probably heard Faith Void. Probably, uh, I'm guessing, 85, 86, probably is, about, is the first time I got my hands on sure. that record. Um, and I was really excited about what I had read about Ignition, plus, you know, with Faith being in kind of like similar vein of what I was enjoying at the time, plus the, you know, the proximity probably to Ian probably doesn't hurt either. Um, yeah, sure. And I, I mean, it's a lot more graspable and uh, quick to understand than, than what's going on on that other side, like you said. Right. But I had, you know, some, I mean, when, when did Flex Your Head come out? That would have been, because I would have gotten those around the same time, I'm sure. Flex Your um, Head was like 82 originally. Yeah. So I, I don't remember which one I got first, but, you know, I had a small amount of experience with Void from that. And I think there were some things on the Void record at first listen that were just maybe outside my comfort zone at the time, right? Like, oh, I like some, totally of those, yeah. <laughs> some of those weird chorus vocals and organized sports. I was just kind of like, well, what's that? You know, <laughs> like, or, uh, you know, I think there's a song about, you know, talking about teaching old ladies judo and karate or something. And I was like, um, I, I, you know, it just didn't speak to me the way, the way I think faith did. Cause it was more, uh, like, Void was more kind of chaos and rage, but Faith was kind of more centered in like that sort of teen angst kind of thing, right? Like yeah. opening opening line of song one of the Faith side, I'm going to make their society bleed. Right, right. You know, from its time is probably one of my favorite songs from DC Hardcore of all time. And that song still does it for me. But um, yeah, it's great. You know, and, and I think, you know, or what's the song? Uh, uh, what or when, what you think is... Uh, you know, it's just like a classic critical anthem for angry youth, right? So, like, uh, it, it spoke to me in that way. But, you know, that's not to say... Uh, Void took me some time to warm up to. Like, I think anything new would. And I don't think I had heard anything like Void save maybe the United Mutation Fugitive Family. Mm. Mm -hmm. Which, to me, like... Like, interesting yeah those two types of records are the kind of records that make me wish i could go back in time and see what people thought about them in the moment you know before there were a hundred people kind of you know copying that style oh yeah um and like united mutation ep to me is just you know it's it, it's the ugliest thing i've ever heard and but it, it it's so brilliant and you know eventually have you heard this you heard the second one the rainbow yeah rainbow Ooh, yeah that's yeah, so rainbow. good too yeah and I, th I think void does that to me too right in the sense that like like there's parts of that record that could have been like terrible like because they're like riding on that edge of oblivion sort of like and sometimes it feels like those songs are almost being written like on the spot and everybody's just like <laughs> but somehow it works you know and like there's parts of, of that void side where like, you're like, Oh, okay. It's yeah. here It's going to fall apart. Like right here. Like, and then uh, I think it's like the, um, Oh man, it's like th there's a bass lead in or something like before one of the final verses of who, you, who are you that, that you're like, Oh, this song is coming apart. And then it just kicks back in with like all the fury that that song was. And you're just like, I, it just, I don't know. It's unpredictable. And, it just constant. I feel like I could listen to that. You know, I listened to it earlier today and I just feel like, Oh yeah. Like 
I, I never noticed that before. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's definitely. Yeah. And I think, you know, another reason why this record's so interesting to me, I played music, you know, for whatever, 20 plus years and the last song I ever recorded in a studio was a, was a void cover. And that was like kind of how I ended my musical and not, not that it's completely ended, but <laughs> that's how I ended my, my first era of my musical career. Was, that was uh, that time to die cover. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the last song uh, Calvary ever recorded um, just kind of on a whim. We just threw it in there at the last second. And uh, I I'd never really thought about that, but until we started talking and I was actually talking to Matt Ryan who played guitar in that band too. He yeah. just, uh, got a new band and just recorded. And I was like, you realize like it's been 17 years since we played together. And the last song we recorded was that void cover. So that's pretty cool. And it kind of, it kind of brings it all around. Like, you know, you were hearing that music when your tastes were getting formed, your direction, your focus for your energy, your rage, your, your own uh, vision. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember who originally got that record first. There were a few friends of us in high school and we all kind of, you know, just borrowed each other's records and made tapes. And my good friend Bill and, and his friend, they used to like order records together, but like, you know, they wouldn't order the same thing. So they could kind of swap every few weeks. And I, I think he must have had it originally. Um, Cause he was, he was a year older than me. So he got a car first and uh, we had this, you know, rigged up stereo with like a speaker. We tore out of a house speaker set between the seats, you know, one, so we could play music. And we had uh we had a tape that had, um, yeah, the, the things I remember, mm -hmm. you know, the faith void split, flex your head, right. uh, code of honor, sick pleasure LP and conflict governable force were like on rotate constantly in that car. I think I re I recall going, there was a place in Ferndale, Michigan called Sam's Jams, which was an amazing record store back in the 80s. Uh, and a big stack of used vinyl had come in. This was must 85, 86, right, right as I was starting high school. Uh -huh. And um, I remember that's when I bought uh, the Faith Void used uh, from that record store. I, and I, I clearly remember buying the, the Reagan Youth LP at the same time, like the... Uh, big fold-out poster one um and then I, if i re and i i'm almost positive i passed the bad posture lp that day because the cover was kind of eh. so, <laughs> you know i kick myself about that every day but That's okay. uh yeah i got it around the same age probably a year literally maybe one or year two years earlier than that and uh i would play the faith side and then I'd play like the first couple Void songs, maybe skip a, and play a song or two off it. But it was almost just like too much for me to take in at the time. Like I was intrigued, but it was, you know, it was just so, so ferocious and chaotic that, it, you know, and with songs like Condensed Flesh and <laughs> you know, Time yeah. to Die, I was like, Jesus Christ, this, these guys are in, intense. Yeah, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of songs on that side too. Like, um, oh, is it War Hero or whatever? Yeah. And you know, where all the lyrics are, you know, very different. I I think than than what uh, I was probably listening to at the time. But um, 
and then you know I, I, I don't what's the song at the end think right like at the end that of song's the, always intrigued me because i don't know what it's about if then devoid uh, it's uh we'll think and then explode yeah yeah i never that song makes all kinds of weird references i i, I mean it might be about something i've never really dug into it but i've always kind of meant to i think but i just never have. after a while i think you know uh when i started like playing music and when i you know had at that point in time like solidified myself as you know okay pretty much anything that has you know comes out on discord or is coming out of that dc areas that's my thing right mm -hmm. like um you know i definitely kind of went back and and revisited everything paid a lot more attention to you know stuff on flex your head like red sea and became integral do they have a demo tape that i can track down or you know like stuff like that and, and when i came back around to void i think by that time like I don't know if the great debate had started, but I think like definitely by the early nineties, like it was pretty much void or die right at that point. Like yep, exactly. I think, uh, you know, not to take anything away from faith. Um, I appreciate the musicianship of that side and the, you know, more accessible nature of that. And, and when I listened to the faith initially, I'm like, Oh, I could, play I could do that yeah. yeah or you know like this is a band that maybe you know i could imitate or or whatever but secretly i think later on i kind of wanted to be in void you know yeah like, yeah, yeah i totally agree right i feel like at some point too like the void side like came to life or something for me mm -hmm. like like it, it it felt like like when i listened to that void side it was like this weird alive organic thing that kind of oh, like yeah. was just growing or adapting in real time and like <laughs> it it existed outside like you know all the realms of conventional structure that i was used oh, yeah. to in terms of music and uh it, the more you, know, you hear it you, the more you realize like oh they're not just kind of playing and hoping it comes together it's 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 actually structured in some Right, because a lot of the songs still adhere to kind of a you know verse chorus kind of you know standard song structure, but it's the the musicianship is what takes it like outside of that simultaneously. And like, um, yeah, I, I I think like when I came back around, you know, and really uh, gave Void Side the you know the do it deserved. Uh, you know, I came out, I came out of that just, I don't know, just in kind of an awe, I guess, of it. And, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and then that immediately made me think, well, you know, I think, I think I've heard about this or that, or isn't there other things that they did? You know, you'd hear like these, well, they were this unreleased LP they yep, had yep. or whatever. <laughs> and then that made me think like, oh, I got to get all this stuff, you know, and that is before any of those, you know, the condensed flesh EP came out or, yeah. or any of that stuff, you know, cause it was just such a, yeah, I think what the whole faith void album is like still under a half an hour. Right. So, uh, void, right, yeah. yeah, void, there's not much to go on, you know? And like, I think another reason this album speaks to me a little bit too, is having, you know, myself, been in a band that was on one side of a 
split LP that is somewhat, you know, uh, <laughs> not, not contested, but debated about, you know, <laughs> which side is better or whatever. I, I get that. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, so this day, both of these bands I can go back and listen to, uh, without question. I mean, they're, they're, for me, they're timeless. And, you know, like the thing about going back and thinking about this record is it brings, for me, it brought up, you know, like a hundred memories. Right. And like, every time I, I pull a record out of my collection that, that particularly is from this era, um, this coming of age, you know, mid teens kind of era, like every record is like, for me, kind of like a page in a diary or something where I'm like, Oh yeah, I got this record here and I was with these people and I also bought this record and then we went skating at the sunset ramp and, you know, like it just, it brings back, it's just a flood of memories and, and, uh, you know, very, very innocent, different kind of times of like discovery and, and, uh, you know, a lot of things that don't really exist anymore. I mean, particularly in music, I think, uh, you know, the fact that I didn't hear the Faith Void record for like, what, three or four years after it was released, um, mm-hmm. you know, that wouldn't happen nowadays, probably. So that's a good point. And uh, yeah, it, just getting a hold of something like that was took work you know yeah 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 it was a yeah i the discovery aspect of i mean that's i think that's part of the reason why i loved music so much was that it was not handed to me on a plate you know i had Mm -hmm. i had to dig for it you had to work for it you had to talk to people you had to read things and then you just had to hope maybe you can find it or mail order it (laughs) someone isn't gonna steal your money or whatever like yeah 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 so I think all those things for me just have they're alive in a certain way and they, they, they tie me down to, you know, points and times in my life that, you know, I don't have a lot of the, you know, other ways to remember them. There's, you know, not 8,000 digital photographs and 4,000 iPhone videos uh-huh. of those times. Right. Like maybe I got True. two or three snapshots and then I have my records. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And that brings back the, the, the full body uh, and mind state you know, from that time more than, more than some photos could for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just to, to go jump back real quick, like something you said about the void side feeling like this alive being like that is like spot on. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to put that into words when I first heard it, but over time I've come to consider that side. It's almost like, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. Uh, it's like a Lovecraftian <laughs> Cthulhu, like just beaming in through these guys you know <laughs> i wonder it makes me this energy it makes me want to go listen to rudimentary penis cacophony or something right now when you say that like <laughs> it's got yeah it's it's yeah it is it's it's it, to me that when i think of that record i think of uh i think of like john carpenter's the thing or something i don't know why but like when i when i think of that record i just think of something just like you know moving from person to person and and like eventually taking them over and being like all right we're void this is our (laughs) music we make and you're gonna listen to it and like uh yeah yeah i mean to me that's always felt that way and like because i you know i don't i don't think i listened to that record as a guitar player for a long time because i i really didn't i mean i still don't necessarily consider myself a guitar player but i don't you know i really didn't think of music in that way 
you know, well into probably the mid nineties. So when I started listening to that record as a guitar player and it, you know, I, in some ways, uh, gang of four entertainment makes me feel the same way too. Like, I'm just like, how, like, yeah, where does yeah. this come from? Like, how do you do this and make it like still musical? You know? Coherent. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so effective, but like also it, it's so hard to tease out the original, you can hear the purity and, and that's what shines through. But so many bands have been influenced by both of those bands. So it kind of clouds up the, uh, originality that you know the just sheer like where the fuck did this come from type of vibe that that both of those bands had when they first started yeah sure yeah i mean i that's why i say like it would just be you know amazing to i think have experienced that firsthand and trying to process it at that point like there's not a lot of you know video documentation of a void that I've seen over the years either. So in some ways, I think that that lends to the sort of mystique of the band, right? Like, true, um, true. you know, if there were 800 videos of them out there and, uh, you know, it might be a different story. And while I would love to see more, uh, I don't think I need to at the same time. Like, you know. I'm, no, there, there is something special about bands that cultivate, whether on purpose or not, like that kind of element of mystery that's, you know embedded in their music and their right. whole thing because I, like i was saying like in terms of you know looking at it from a guitar player standpoint like when i watch videos now i'll, I'll like watch like how a guitar player is playing and mm-hmm. i kind of almost don't want to know you know <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, like i'm kind of just like okay i'm just gonna let it let it be, be its thing and like uh like when we when we recorded time to die i did not play guitar on that i i didn't even attempt it that's that's all matt ryan and like he you know i think he kind of nailed it and i don't you know i i i don't think i could even come close to attempting to to mimic that and that's fine with me what would you say if you could encapsulate what got into your dna as a musician that is kind of carried through to through current calvary etc to to your current project like from this era from this record but from the era in general i mean yeah i mean i owe a lot to it because i mean for me i i, I kind of settled into dc area hardcore i was really into like kind of the early 80s uk you know crass corpus christi mortar hate stuff and then anything coming out of Detroit at that time. Cause that's where I, I grew up. So uh, those were kind of like my three major areas of focus. Um, so they were, they had the greatest impact on me in terms of what I listened to and, and what kind of music I wanted to play. But I, I still really think, you know, most I'd say majority of my heart lies in, in DC um, and it, there's just so much stuff. I, I mean, people say it all the time, right? That uh, punk rock saved their life and, mm-hmm. and, you know, without punk, what would they be doing? And, you know, for me, uh, a lot of what came out of that era was the, the thing that opened the, the doors for me to kind of figure out who I was and what I needed to do with my life, as opposed to just growing up in small town, Michigan. And, you know, uh, the flow of that right so 
I, you know, I, I think for me, it's, it's kind of like the next phase of, of, you know, music that was coming out of DC that was like really critically influential on me like, uh, ignition rights of spring, you know, up through maybe Lungfish or whatever. Um, right. like for me, that's where like, I, you know, cause I was there and I, yeah. those bands were alive and I was seeing those bands and like, I mean, a band like Soulside for me is like, they were just incred- critically important to me in high school. Um, I saw them, you know, that was back when a band would come through Michigan and play like four or five shows all within an hour of each other. You know, I could <laughs> Windsor to Kalamazoo and just see them like nonstop, you know, having them be an actual tangible band that I could, you know, interact with by their album, you know, when it came out mm-hmm. um, was incredibly uh, important to me, but every, yeah, and there's an out immediacy of seeing, seeing a band yeah. like right there, performance, sweating, like talking to them afterwards or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, everything that came, you know, before it, especially since, you know, so many of those bands shared the same members or had a lineage that went back through, you know, some band on Flex Your Head or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, you know, there's, I think that whole thing just uh, was important and, and spoke to me in a way that uh, was incredibly influential. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have started a record label if it wasn't for Discord and, and a lot of the smaller labels around it, like Sandwich or Simple Machines or anything like that. I would have not started my record. I would have never have even thought about doing that, I don't think, you know. Um, right. if there wasn't that sort of, um, you know, inspiration out there. Yeah, for sure. Being in a band and, and having a record label and all of that stuff. I mean, I, I would, I would attribute 80 to 90% of it to what was coming out of, out of there, that era. All right, man. I've been ready for this for a while. Let's drop the needle on this. Let's drop the needle. All right. Well, uh, the faith side has been face up on my turntable all week. It is time to flip it over. Take it away. Let me know what you think about uh, this iconic piece of of music. There's a lot of pressure, right? When you yep. when you're dealing with music that is held, you know, or sides of records or records that are held in such high regard, like this. True. True. Um, but uh, yeah, let me know. Like, tell me what you think oh, about Void. God, I don't know, man. I, I hate to be uh, so much in the in crowd, but you know, when something's right, it's right. I hope that this episode isn't just me throwing ex- exclamation marks over and over again throughout just about how fucking amazing this is. But you know, sitting with it for the last couple weeks, like. It still holds up so fucking well. It's 
you know, it's the perfect length. I mean, an LP would have been great, but, you know, this is... Every every song on here is so good, and the production, the playing, it's its its, it's, its own little uh, pocket of the universe, and oh, it deserves its Mount Rushmore status, in my opinion. Uh, that That's how I'll start, and, uh, you know, we can dive into the specifics in a moment, but I'm going to say I'm one of those people, like, I wouldn't go as far as saying that, that I, you know, that the faith side it, obviously we talked about it last week and you know it 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 it's not so obvious in uh in your face like like void is it's not as confrontational you have to kind of dig in it to uh find all the layers which is beautiful but uh this is just ah uh, it's like discovering a whole new uh animal or color in the world so that's how much it means to me what what about you yeah, I mean, I think the first time I ever heard this side, uh, I was probably a little bit terrified. Um, oh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's terrifying. It's it's chaotic. It's crazy. It's it's all the stuff that I love about this type of music. Um, feedback drenched, atonal guitar solos. It's just completely unhinged and off the rails. Yeah, start uh, to finish. Yeah, from start to finish. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and the other thing aside from that part of it is how different this sounds than everything that has come before it on discord. Absolutely. And, yeah. And I think, I think this goes back to what we were saying, uh, in the beginning a little bit is that these guys didn't come from that scene. They didn't go to Wilson high school. They didn't grow up with Ian and Alec and, and bird and Henry and all of those guys. And so, you know, they had their own, they had their own DNA um, as opposed to, you know, because there is a certain style to the early Discord releases. I would say include every band that we have covered up to this point with the exception of Iron Cross, probably. But Iron Cross aside. And Necros, but yeah. Okay, yeah. Or, or, you know, well, and SSD too. But I, right, I'm not even, right. but, you know, those are those are split releases. You know, we, we understand that those are bands that are not from DC. But as far as all the DC bands we've covered up to this point, there is a certain style to all of those bands. And Void is just completely different. And so those are like my my initial impressions of this. To me, this side, this is like rain blood. You know, hmm. people always say that and this is where I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw a little bit of devil's advocacy into the mix with this discussion. Apropos. Yeah, go ahead. You know, like with Slayer, you ask Slayer fans like what their favorite Slayer album is. And, you know, 90 percent of the time they're going to say Rain and Blood. Sure. And I love Rain and Blood because it's just a relentless. It's just a relentless in your face stream that it, it maintains its intensity for 25 minutes and it's over. And the void side is very much like that. It's, it's, you know, 12, 13 minutes. It's unrelenting. It never lets up. It never gives you a chance to breathe. But, you know, Rain and Blood is not my favorite Slayer record. <laughs> I like Hello Waits because there's so much more going on. There's so much more flow. There's fast. There's slower parts. Whereas Rain and Blood, except for the bookends of that album, is is very one-dimensional in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I feel sort of, as much as I love this side of the record, and it is a classic, in some ways, it is a little one-dimensional in certain respects as compared to the Faith side. Oh, God, Where no. there's so many more different <laughs> things going on. No, no, no. There's there, there's so... I feel like there's more dynamics and... And, well, I don't. I wouldn't say more, but there's equal amount of dynamics in the uh, void side, and much more subtle. Like, well, not subtlety, but uh, musical uh, surprises, which it's all surprises, I guess. But oh man, I totally argue about that point. In my opinion. well, you're definitely going to be the good guy. Because, oh yeah, uh, most the... people listening are absolutely 100% going to agree with you. No, you know, I, I, I'm, I. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going on like, you know, because it, th- it's not just thrash. The slow the slow parts are so intense. There's the guitar solos. There's the different moods. I mean, you know, it's all pissed off, but it's it's yeah, there's I feel like, you know, there's a whole little uh, dark little world going on on that side. And it's to me, it's got like it's got that. uh especially musical, but even to some degree, lyrical depth to it. Well, the lyrics are something else. And I think I like the lyrics on this side. And if you want to talk about lyrics for a second, yeah, I think there's more going on here. Lyrically. Uh, There's a lot of, a lot of social commentary Mm -hmm. on this side. Um, You know, you do have, you know, condensed flesh, which is my Slayer analogy because it's almost a, (laughs) a pre-angel of death. I like that. It feels like a lot of these lyrics from who are you time to die are not written. Like this isn't John Wiefenbach talking to you. Mm-hmm. That He's putting himself into a role. Into I, sure the head. Hope, I sure hope so. Yeah. I mean <laughs> the lyrics to time to die. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they remind me of like, they almost remind me a little bit of the lyrics to um, that red sea song assassin that we were talking about. Hmm. I don't know. Taken to the nth degree, though. Oh, yeah. Like American Psycho. Yeah. Like, to me, yeah. it's like the movie American Psycho. I mean... Definitely. I'll stain you know, the world with your is... blood. That, that That's like... I mean, it's a crazy song, but that's like such a great poetic line, you know? Vicious. I mean, Vicious. this is someone who has just been beaten down. And I don't know if this person is in the song is going through with these actions or these are just their thoughts but man this this is a vicious set of lyrics and so lyrically you know i'm with you these these lyrics on this side are intense they're biting and completely uncompromising yeah yeah and i mean and to stay on time to die for a second like me and my friends when we would hear it as you know young teenagers would like you know, we loved the the side and we loved the song, but it was, we'd kind of like, jo- we'd kind of laugh a little bit at those lyrics, but it was that kind of nervous laughter. It wasn't just like, ha ha ha, you know, how stupid. It was like, wow, that's kind of unsettling. You know, we don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I'll stain the world with your blood. Yeah. Bury your bodies deep in the world, your feet over there, heads over there, never get caught. So I don't care. Yeah, it's wow. brutal. Yeah, and Weefenbach delivers absolutely. Yes. Del- like you, you believe, believe it. it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, 
that's one thing too like i want to get back to the lyrics at, at, at some point but the uh you brought up his his delivery and that's one thing that grabbed me man uh you know i've heard these songs so much but trying to listen with new ears it's like in 82 no one was really singing like him uh he doesn't sound like your typical early 80s hardcore singer he's just kind of it's it's like he is just releasing whatever's going on inside him and he doesn't care if he sounds like uh the uk subs or the damned or whoever he's just like shrieking and howling and you know he's just jumping out of his skin it sounds like on the demos um you know i i gotta especially one of the songs that you know a lot of these about half these songs were mm-hmm. on the demos Movoy and but like especially there's a song on one of the demos called controller and to oh, me yeah. he really sounds like darby crash hmm that's interesting okay and and it's funny because i think when we interviewed chris estrada he he made a comparison with Alec and Darby Crash, but he did. Uh-huh. I hear it more with him, and to me, this sounds like you know if Darby Crash, you know, wasn't you know a junkie who killed himself, you know, committed suicide or unintentional suicide, OD'd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a huge, huge Germs fan, by the way. So, but if he had been a little bit more focused and and lived another few years and got a you know into a little bit more intense, like I feel like this is kind of the vocal style that we may have gotten out of him. Hmm. It's really intense and it's great. I mean, do not get me wrong of anything I've said up to this point. (laughs) I love this side of the record. I love this side of the record. I love it for different reasons than the first side. Sure. Of course. And, you know, I get you. Like, I love playing devil's advocate. I would love to have some, any kind of criticism for this side. And it's really hard, man. I would say, uh, personally, for me, having a, having numerous family members, uh, you know, relatives that that were in the concentration camps, like I could do without condensed flesh because it seems kind of sensationalistic, and I never appreciated that kind of uh, sensation for sensation's sake, and especially for such brutal, brutal. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's doing anything but uh, getting off on how how just crazy the Nazis were with their their uh, you know treatments treatment of the Jews. But uh, you know that song aside, like I, I feel like this this whole side of the record, it's hard for me to find anything. You know, it's a sloppy at times, but it adds to that kind of sense of just urgency and chaos. Yeah, I saw a description. I wish I could have made this up that the faith are like a chamber, a chamber ensemble. <laughs> what? And the void side are just like like a tornado, like a, like a, <laughs> you know, a, a, like just like a band like in a tornado because yeah, I mean there's no click track going oh God, on no. with these songs. Yeah. I mean you know, there are parts where it just sounds like everybody's doing their own thing. I mean, those middle instrumental sections and in who are you? Oh, God. So nobody's doing the same thing, but it just all falls. Together it does. It does, though. In a really satisfying way. Yeah. Know? Well, and I, I want to say that, you know, it I feel like that's more down to performance. Some of the sloppiness on one or two songs, but like 
on like the track you just mentioned, I feel like those are like very consciously written that way. Like, yeah, like that, the little breaks in between the parts on, uh, who are you? What, what, who are you? Like, uh, that, those are so fucking good. Like, uh, what Chris is playing on the bass, it's like some crazy, like rusty machine and like Bubba over top, just throwing shit everywhere with his guitar it's oh it's so good it's it's polyrhythmic yeah i mean what, you know chris is playing like these triplets on the bass while bubba's going nuts mm-hmm. and you know sean's going yeah nuts. and sean sean really deserves a lot a lot of credit like you know not only for being the mastermind behind all this stuff but just his drumming is just it's chaotic but at the same time he does some really uh technically uh impressive things on here yeah they're going for it i i like chris's bass playing too i know um you know this may have been his first band they were all young but like i said who are you and the opening the very last song the opening of explode he's got yeah. that wild yeah. crazy bass intro <laughs> that he's doing you know yeah for sure and i mean that's the thing with this this side and when people talk about void you know especially people who you know are really into this which i mean you're either really into it or you don't care for it but like in a way bubba is so unique and so just like wild and innovative of a guitar player that it kind of overshadows how how impressive the rest of the these guys are you know as a rhythm section they can be a little off the rails occasionally but they're so like they're all doing really interesting stuff you know they're all so propulsive but isn't that what we love about the Void side of the record? Oh, for sure. Is that it is that unhinged, is that it is feedback-drenched yes. and atonal solos, and it just sounds like an out-of-control freight train, you know? Definitely, definitely. Like, any time I put it on, it's hard to sit still and listen. I mean, I can't. <laughs> it's, it's that good. It's that, like, uh, just that full of just fucking fire really and that that makes me think like this in some you know it's a weird comparison but uh reminds me of listening to and hearing for the first time like the the rights of spring lp they both have that kind of almost off off the rails type of energy where it's almost out of control and that's part of its like magic and its shamanic like shambolic character you know yeah, I mean it's really unlike anything else up to this point. Um, Definitely, even the graphics. Yeah. Even the yeah, you know, no Discord band has like that kind of demonic, you know, uh, you know, satanic looking graphics. Like Jesus, this is like so different. Like, you know, props to Ian for like seeing the the uh, absolute just magic of these guys because. Can you imagine? They could have been a band that maybe released a seven-inch on on their own label and disappeared through the ages. But you know, thank God, you know they're they're on Discord, so the world knows about them. Yeah, and at the time this record came out, I mean, the Faith were the better-known band. Oh yeah. So it's it's you know it's the fact that Void attached themselves to this record really did them and, and all of us a lot of good because we may not have heard this record. This just may have been a complete obscurity mm-hmm. 
that you know d- doesn't have the same gravitas as it does by being attached to the faith side and you know history has had it surpassing it um but yeah just uh bub is guitar playing i mean huh. the thing that sticks out first of course is just the feedback the atonal solos but there's a lot of great riffs i mean yeah. he's got ignorant people he has a crazy guitar solo over like that has like a slow you know that's ignorant people's got like a slow riff and then it gets a little faster mm-hmm. and but over that slow riff he plays this guitar solo that is just completely nuts yeah. uh ask them why he's got these cool little guitar interjections in between vocal lines it almost reminds me of something you know greg Ginn did on some of the early black flag stuff where they'd be like a line and he would just do a quick little riff yep yep a squall of you know a couple of notes definitely uh the opening to think mm-hmm. has got that sort of metal oh little yeah. metal guitar no the opening but, to think is like like uh iron maiden on pcp man that's what it makes me think of a hundred percent yeah although the song in general I get a real like bad brains really? from that song. I, yeah, I think even just the way he's singing. Go back and that's listen so to the weird way he because sings it. That's uh that's maybe, you know, one of my uh new favorite songs on there and yeah, what I hear bad brains as one of the influences on them in general, but on that song it's got so many like just metal parts I feel like. That's interesting. The that kind of galloping. Yeah, that brings me to the metal the metal thing. So Certainly, the artwork um, and the aesthetic of it is certainly very metal. A lot of the lyrics, yes, like t- we mentioned, "Time that I condense flesh," mm-hmm. very metal. Musically, I am not hearing as much metal as everybody else seems to hear. No, well, um, well, the, so the metal to me, other than like that Iron Maiden part. To, what sounds like Iron Maiden-ish type of thing to me uh, is more of a like very dirgy metal more of like you know they they obviously probably had played shows or seen the obsessed so there's some of that a little tiny bit of like you can tease out that they were into Sabbath I mean obviously with the name too uh, the, their biggest influences do seem to be the you know the Black Towers the Black Sabbath and the Black Flag Definitely that, and their cousins seem to be at the time, uh, I think they were around already, uh, like COC, their first release was very much in this kind of sludgy punk metal. I mean, there's definitely more punk than metal, for sure, in their DNA on this record, but, you know, that that's where I see more of like the underground and, and British metal than anything else. The aesthetics of it have metal written all over it to me. Oh, yeah. Um, when I think of crossover and hardcore, I mean, the first record I think of, it may not have been the first, but the first record I think of is like Agnostic Front's Cause for a One. Because that is an absolute melding of speed metal. There's clearly speed metal riffing. What about metal DRI, type though? guitar solos? Yeah, I mean, I mean that too. Um, Cause for Alarm was kind of just an earlier record for me, so it's my go-to. But but same thing. I mean, there's clear metal playing, clear metal solos. Yeah. And to me, there's just not really a whole lot of metal musically on this record. Um, you know, the opening riff of Who Are You is pure rock and roll. I mean, it's just a pure rock and roll. It's it's a classic rock and roll riff played underneath heaps of distortion and fuzz and, uh, you know, 
played with a certain, you know, aggression and style, but it's not it's not metal. No, and I mean it's more of just little hints and little like some of those like pinched like uh bent notes and stuff that kind of have that metal-y vibe too, you know, what I would say. Yeah. yeah. To me it's just it's just a precursor to a more extreme type of hardcore. Hmm. Oh, uh, definitely. Now, definitely. You know, now the record that they made after this never got released. You know, that to me was very much a hard rock metal record and quite quite frankly not not a great one. Yeah. Um, I mean I don't you know. I don't think almost anyone would argue with that. I mean especially compare if you compare the two. Uh yeah. But yeah, you know, although uh you know, I've I've heard a lot of uh or not a lot, but I've heard some live live material and live versions of a couple of those tracks off the album. And those actually are really good. It's it's more of what would have happened in between that album and the split. And it's just a damn shame that they didn't record anything after the split, you know, besides the LP. Yeah, there, there's a video I saw. I think it's 84, so it was probably very close to their, their end. But I think it's from Philly. And they also like like kind of like alternate between doing like an old song and then a newer song. Yeah. And you could just see the air getting sucked out of the place huh. when they play these songs. But they're doing it, you know? But there was a lot of metal aesthetic. I mean, Bubba Dupree, more than the other guys, looked like a rock star from day one. Yeah. Um, you know, he would wear Motley Crue t-shirts and <laughs> play his guitar like, you know, he looked like a rock star. So I could see why people would say that. But to me, like, this is not the first crossover thrash record in my opinion it's it's just not metal enough musically to qualify for that so that might be an unpopular opinion but yeah i'm just not hearing all the metal that people usually uh talk about with this well i think i think you're i mean and we don't need to stay on this subject too long i think i think you're you're defining metal more by the very specific uh musical quotations and things uh you know, as far as like aesthetic and uh, approach, it, it's it's got a lot of a lot of that early early metal, whether it's like early early uh, Metallica and Slayer type of energy to it. Not the sound, not the solos, not that, but just that aggression and fueled by hatred type of sound. You know. Well, it doesn't need to be, and I, I guess the biggest you know the thing about this record which makes it so enjoyable to me is that it's just really like, not like anything else. No. Yeah. It doesn't need to be hardcore. It doesn't need to be metal. It doesn't need to be put in those classifications that and it can't you know, we be, love yeah. to do because it's yeah. fun. It's, it's just, it's so unique. It's such a unique type of hardcore that's going on that. Yeah. It's, it's mind melting. It's face melting. It is. And it can only happen like outside of a established scene. That's where a lot of the most interesting stuff, like D. Kreutzen, uh, you know, bands that come from these, like, outskirts versus being in the major cities, like, they make very, like, I don't know, kind of uh, unique, hairy beasts, you know? Yeah, that that's one thing, you know, that this, this record's got, to me, it's got, there's moments that definitely have some bad brains, a lot of Black Flag... Like I said, I, I will hear little metal things in there. I'll hear, you know, they're, like you said, the atonal, almost experimental noise elements. 
you know, they don't, they're not trying to, to uh, be one thing. It's, it's even something like uh, organized sports is kind of almost like catchy early hardcore. It's like they're not afraid to throw some melody in there. And, you know, even lyrically, you know, if, if every song was like condensed flesh and time to die, I don't know if it would resonate as well. It would still have an audience. It would still be important, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, cut us deep because that, you know, if it was just all about being as extreme and evil and angry as possible. But, you know, like you said, there's social songs, there's very personal songs, the very abstract, like think there's, it kind of, they kind of throw a lot of things in the pot and then burn the thing. They must have really loved organized sports because it's also <laughs> on it's on both demos. Yeah. Uh, so is War Hero. But uh, I don't love organized sports. I think it's I think it's the one song. If I'm going to be critical of one song specifically on this side. Really? I just I just don't love that song. I don't love the whole gang vocal part. Oh, see, I like especially with the pitched crazy pitched vocals it like it keeps it interesting to me and instead of being like a gang vocal hardcore thing it gives it this kind of demonic type of element to it that i like <laughs> there is a lot of crazy like tempo shifts on that song that i like mm -hmm. but to me it's just sort of like the one spot on the record that that i fade out a little bit on hmm. interesting but other than that it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty perfectly relentless 15 minutes and, and it's essential and it's essential for a reason. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, this is fully realized. I mean, yes, they had, you know, time to demo the, the earlier demos, etc. But this, this record, they come out swinging. They're so confident, so uh, completely uncompromising and so completely uniquely themselves unselfconscious that I don't know to me besides the the earlier minor threat records this this is the only other just hands down classic in the terms of uh sound if you put it on today it sounds just as arresting just as intense just as you know pulling you in by the by your collar as it did when it was released like some of the other records have great songs and have a lot of historic value, but this and the Minor Threat stuff to me, like, are the two things that just, just, I don't know, I could throw on pretty much any day and be super stoked. All right. Well, I'm going to let you have to let last word on this. So you mentioned the, uh, you know, the tempo changes. They really are, you know, masterful with their tempo changes. They just barrel along at full steam and then go half you know go half speed and then right back and even just like that there's like that drum drum build up and uh into the into the solo part of ignorant people and you know they they really use tempo use accents like like very aggressively but very they they swing in their own like mutant way. I think that's one thing that should be noted. I think you convinced me that saying that this implying that this side is one dimensional was was not the right thing to say. I think it's just more of a 
a relentless steamroller this side. Yeah. And especially maybe the back half where songs kind of just go one into the other into the other. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, there is definitely a lot going on with these with these songs. I don't think it's as distinct and obvious as the Faith side. Mm-hmm. Where you clearly have songs that are very slow and then very melodic and um, in that kind of way, but but you're right. I mean, it's it's diverse in in a different type of way. So I'm going to concede sure. <laughs> that point to you. Yeah, well, and and that's a good way to put it too. It is true that the Void side they have their mid tempo or their slow songs or their more moody songs, and then their aggressive songs. Whereas Void, it's just kind of you're along for the ride, you know, <laughs> from from the start. Uh, and you know which brings me one one last thing you know you we had mentioned like one thing i it just i don't think there'd be half if 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 any of the uh late 90s hardcore emo type of bands if not for this record it's weird like especially starting with all the san diego gravity stuff like heroin and all the bands that that kind of grew around them like none of that stuff would exist without this side of this record, man. See, now that's where I completely agree with you. And not to beat the dead horse of the metal conversation, <laughs> but I would make that argument that this is not so much a precursor to crossover, but it's a precursor to that sort of chaotic hardcore that, like mm-hmm. you said, like came out of like the Gravity Records scene, Born Against, you know, that, that sort of... Uh, that came to prominence in, in the nineties. And that's, that is definitely what I hear in this. I guess, uh, you know, especially in these times right now, pandemics, fucking police violence, craziness going on in the world. Like this, this side of the record is kind of the dark underbelly. Uh, I don't know. It's a good soundtrack for what's going on right now. So (laughs) it speaks to me. I hate to put this record back in the sleeve after having lived with it the, for the last few weeks, but maybe it's time to do that. Yep, yep. Let's do it. Off. Thanks so much, Christopher, for for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you know, thanks for uh, having me. It's a good time. Good. Yeah. So, you guys kind of came out of suburban Maryland, and uh, did you feel like connected to the DC scene? Because I've heard of bands that are outside, like in Virginia or Maryland, have sometimes felt a little bit, you know, not exactly tight with the 
No, I think we definitely, I mean, we had our, I mean, because we were there, I mean, we weren't there from like day one. We we weren't with like what in the period of the Slinkies, but we Mm -hmm. caught like the the tail end of the teen idols. So um, we saw like, I mean, that was sort of my defining moment about DC hardcore was seeing the teen idols in in Oddfellas Hall in Towson, Maryland. I played with uh, my friend, uh, William Dagger's band, the Bullocks. The Bullocks, yeah. And there was already this sort of passion or interest in punk music. And so, I've, I, you know, I, don't, I have no idea how we... Anyways, so that was a, there was a passion of interest there. And basically, um, they kind of opened up this underground scene that was happening in D.C. And that's where we started following up. And then Sean got really tight with Ian. I got really tight with Bert. And, you know, we... At that point, zines started getting traded around. Tapes started getting dubbed, you know, started going to shows, a lot of the same shows, and it just kind of grew from there. So were we tight? I, you know, the, clearly there was a distance thing, right? We, we couldn't just simply go down to the Haagen-Dazs and sure, hang out sure. with Henry and Ian or, or go down to the theater and hang out with Bert. But, I mean, like, pretty much our weekends were spent down there, at least for me personally. If I wasn't, if I wasn't at a show, it was probably – skating somewhere now skateboarding down there somewhere what was it about that uh teen idol show the first one that you saw that grabbed you so much well i mean we knew there was what was going on with punk but when there that kind of like of course it just wasn't the teen idols and like their roadie it was like the teen idols and like 15 people and you know however many they could fit mm-hmm. in the car and the instruments and everything else right. so it was like a good solid group of i want to say like 10 to 15 people that showed up from DC uh-huh. and um, these guys looked like they did not belong like anywhere. I mean, yeah, they just, and they also to, to clarify, they had just gotten back from California. So um, they had the whole, whole HB influence going on full on, um, you know, bandanas around the boots, um, <laughs> crashing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll never forget Jeff had like, you know, Jeff Nelson had like, this get up that looked made him look like a a, a German Nazi corporate guy, <laughs> corporate guy, because he had because of his jacket and the way he looked, uh-huh. and, and, and it, it, it wasn't scary, but it was definitely it was definitely like whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> it was like one of those things like where you know we just thought we were having like a normal what would be now maybe a rock concert, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. the motorcycle gang shows up, <laughs> and then when they played, of course, then it was a whole other ball of wax too because they were playing like. The songs were like 30 seconds long or a minute long compared to the bulks, which were two, three minutes long. And they were like 20 times faster. So we, that, at that point, we were just like, wow, what's going on here? And um, yeah, sure enough, like that's when we started going down to shows in D.C. whenever we could. And were you already playing music at that point? We weren't. No, I, I definitely I was I was the least musically inclined of my family. For me personally, my uh, my mom tried so hard to get me to do recorder and piano, and she just <laughs> threw her hands up. It was just yeah, it was rough. And my brother and sister were the ones who you know just sort of went along with it, and I didn't. And sure enough, I was the one who ended up playing bass of all things. <laughs> and and you didn't pick up the bass at all until. Uh until you guys started Void, is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, that was it. Um, I picked up the bass. You know, I just started 
so there was, I mean, there were clearly people around me that were musicians or wanted to be musicians. Like my neighbor was this great monster of guitar player. Uh, but there was also like, you know, the whole, you know, just playing guitar and such like that. And so mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of musicians that were better than me that kind of taught me the ropes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to your point, like pretty much like that, that was my starting point to start playing bass and playing music. Well, I guess from, from the beginning and then also, I guess, once you kind of found your feet with bass, like, how did you approach playing bass uh, specifically with, with, you know, with Bubba and them? So for Bubba, he um, was self-taught and basically he uh, learned how to, basically he was self-taught and, you know, he, he was playing nonstop uh-huh. by himself just practicing. And he sort of like, again, taught me the ropes, but in the, in the vein of, where it plays out in void history, you know, Sean was another person who didn't play an instrument, but also picked it up. But really? clearly wow. he had the songwriting skills and the talent. So as the song, the songwriting pretty much went along with lines of like Sean and Bubba wrote the, the core of it and Sean was the core of it. And then, cause basically he had lyrics in his mind and a drum beat. And mm-hmm. then he had like a guitar sound he'd want to do, and he kind of hum it to Bubba, and Bubba and Bubba and him would jam it out for a little bit, and then we'd all kind of work out the song and layers above and beyond that. Did Sean kind of do that for everybody's parts, or did you kind of have? So honestly, I, I should have start from the beginning. So basically, I I attempted to write songs, and they were abysmally juvenile. <laughs> I, uh, I remember distinctly uh, Bubba's mom laughing at them and looking at my lyrics, no. <laughs> and Sean lyrics and going like, um, yeah, clearly someone has some songwriting skills here. <laughs> so that was sort of the next level when Sean, and then, like I said, Sean, and, and then it was sort of Bubba, and, uh, not Bubba, but like me and uh, John would sort of fill the gaps, like for from the vocals or I would fill in, like they might have an idea of like, how the chorus would go, but then they didn't have the, the other four, four going on behind it. Mm-hmm. So basically I would be the person who would kind of fill that sometimes, or, 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 you know, for that matter would write some songs too. And then every, and then it all became congealed together, but the majority of the stuff was pretty much Sean and then Sean and Bubba. As well as musically, like personally, what, how would you describe each person's uh, ingredient into void? Well, I, well, at that time of starting off, it was definitely, uh, a lot of mostly punk, hardcore, um, and metal. Um, and then I guess like what, like if you had to say, not necessarily what, what you guys ended up sounding like, but what you guys were listening to it when you guys were starting and like, Hey, you know, this, that you all agreed on were what you wanted to bring to the table. It was, it was, it was definitely not agreed. It was not planned out like that at all. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely, it was definitely, you know, uh, we basically put it together and, you know, practiced it. And if it didn't sound right and tweaked it um, another way. And, you know, it's surprising what people will say, but I mean, like, we did practice a lot. Mm-hmm. We tried to, because I think there was an ethos in DC that, you know, you had to be tight because you're sort of like, your epitome of the people you looked up to were the bad brains and minor threat, right? Right. And right. those guys didn't, did not mess around. 
Um, so there was like this ethos of practicing really hard. So we just kind of practice along those lines of like just maintaining tightness and keeping it simple and fast. Um, but also like having an edge to it too. Like, I mean, so that wasn't really, I mean, but to, to answer your question, you know, there was no sort of like genre or idea we were going for. We were just sort of going for, going for it, just making just loud, fast music. Mm-hmm. And just seeing what came out from that. Yeah, from each yeah exactly, exactly. Was the uh, energy and intensity like that later became a major component of and what most people like locked on to? Was that there right away from the beginning or? Yeah, there was, but I think that um, clearly, I think what happened was we we got better at our instruments. So, mm-hmm. and it's sort of, and it's sort of, it's it basically spiraled on itself, right? So basically, it, I want to say, you know, those initial stages where um, we started to play, it was more at parties and, and super small venues, and then as I, clearly as we picked up better instruments and, and played, started our venues, started to get a little bit bigger than basically the talent, if you will, got better. When, when did you start playing shows with the DC bands? Was that, was that right away or after a little bit? For the most part, yeah. I mean, like we maybe did one or two parties in Colombia with um, the Dagger Brothers bullocks but you know after that you know we just we got we we would just get invited you know what i mean yeah that's what that's what happened we would just go down there and then that's why you would see these flyers like wilson center where you have like eight bands playing there right Right. so yeah the down the other flip side though is the fact that unfortunately um we did get offered a lot of shows but the problem was is that then for a while which yeah for a while we weren't really known as a band you could count on to show up because John and Bubba or even me were getting grounded. And so we couldn't go down and couldn't play the show. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. That's, that's been a common theme lately with a couple of people I've talked and same with me going to the shows as well. I miss so many good shows because I would get grounded for, you know, if it wasn't one thing, it was yeah, going to a show and being there too late and coming home and getting grounded for the next, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, well, I, I mean, distinctly, I was. My mom was pretty chill, but I mean, the one that just took a big gash or like took a big toll was when um, I said to my mom that I was going to go up to go to Baltimore to hang out with friends, and reality was I was going to up to New York to be on Saturday Night Live for that famous <laughs> Saturday Night Live issue. And oh so God. she literally found, found out as we were leaving for New York. Oh, no. And I pleaded with her. I said, just ground me for as long as you want. She said, all right, it's going to be a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of what happened. That's funny. So you made that trip. You were in the, with that group? Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. The Saturday Night Live taping? Yeah. <laughs> was it as, uh, as crazy as the stories say about it? Oh, man, it was crazier i mean i mean i don't know if you heard like some of the stories but i just one story briefly is like so we got fed um box lunches or something like that and sean and i said screw this let's see what they got downstairs (laughs) and i never forget we walked by fear's dressing room and they had completely trashed their dressing room they had spray painted smashed the tables 
a little further down was the big food platter, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, just sick. It was like shrimp and, you know, the deli cut meats and everything like that. So we just started loading up our, these two plates just full of food to take back upstairs uh-huh. to where I think we were in the green room or something. Uh-huh. And then I'll never forget, I looked up and there was like Garrett Morris and Eddie Murphy looking down at us going like, who are the white people? Like, oh, no. so, and like, <laughs> and so we loaded up, the, loaded up real quick on the plates and then just bounced over to bounce back to the green room wherever we were. Oh my God. Yeah, it seems like people from so many bands, classic bands, were at that taping. <laughs> seemed like everybody. yeah. Well, it was it was so it was. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to. I mean, the idea basically it spun out was basically um, everyone was going up there to go see the Misfits and Necros play at Halloween, right? Oh, okay. And I think you know that's quote unquote. That was my original plan. I had no intention. What's I mean, like, but then sure enough, uh, Sean had heard through Ian that Belushi had called him to see if they wanted to thrash for Saturday Night Live, and <laughs> yeah. then there was this whole other element that was added to it. Oh, that's hilarious! So did did you end up going to the the uh, Misfits Necro show too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was. I think I was originally just supposed to quote unquote sleep over in Baltimore. <laughs> And and then it got in like basically the whole weekend. So, nice. and of course, like I said, I paid for it because I think I was grounded for, uh, you know, I don't even know how long. <laughs> but I can relate. I had many, many less uh, dramatic versions of that story in myself. <laughs> Spe- so speaking of live, live shows, like what to you, what was like the most like off the cuff, I guess, like the most interesting show that you played and. Like, what was it about it? And we played a lot of good shows. Um, start with, probably start with, I mean, the, the sort of the pan ultimate for me, which was, which was, which in the scheme of things was an okay show. But like, for us, it was a big show because basically we opened for UK subs uh-huh. and we were the only band. So that was kind of a big deal. So that was, a, that was, that was a pretty epic thing. Right. Um, let's see. Um, clearly, you know, playing with the Misfits. That was a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, anytime we got to play in New York or when we played Boston, those were just, just over the top, amazing shows too. Like just so much fun. And we just love playing there. It was such a great city to be there. We didn't, we didn't have that built in rivalry. Like a lot of other people had. Yeah. So always good to play New York. What were your impressions of say, uh, like the differences between New York and Boston to, to DC kids? It just seemed to me like with uh, with New York, it was a lot more what a uh, it was a lot more violent. Once you got out of DC, it was a lot more violent, and B there were more contingents of people, perhaps being violent against each other, or just people, or just people not knowing each other. Versus when you went to DC, you knew every, everyone knew who you were, and everyone you know everyone knew who you were pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and so. Um, you did something wrong, you got pulled aside and, and, you know, and everyone acknowledged you did something wrong or, you know, people, people looked after us, bottom line, people looked after each other. Whereas up there, I I don't think, I can't say because I wasn't, a lot of times I wasn't in the crowd or I mean, I was in the crowd, but I just feel that community that was going on, that was going up there. For the SSD episode, you know, their split release. Yeah. Yeah gonna talk to uh al's wife from ssd that'll be oh cool yeah that'll be interesting 
they've got a lot. <laughs> they've yeah, got they've a, got a history, right? A history and yeah. Well, that was okay. So that was like to me, like another to me that uh, to your point, like to your question earlier, mm-hmm. that was a great show. Like when we played with them, that was just mayhem. I mean, that was that was sort of the impetus for when when we went and as the as the band got better, when that show is clearly a, a moving point because we practice our asses off for that show and and went out there and after the show, people like went, oh my god, that was crazy, like. Uh-huh. Um, I think somebody at that show, their ribs got broken. Um, oh, Jesus. Something like John Falls was running around with a switchblade. I, it just got, it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. And people were just like, yeah. And that, that show was impetus for like, okay, these guys are the real deal. And I think mm-hmm. that was clearly one of the shows I would say would be, a, you know, a, a special moment, if you will. Yeah. You know, as you said that, it made me think, I don't know if there's influence uh from you guys but you know one of the first punk records that i got uh 12 inches was ssd get it away and yeah i wouldn't have put it together but until now but uh i can hear like some kind of similarity between that recording and what you guys were doing as well just you know it wasn't as chaotic as is the void sound or as metal but you know yeah it had that that same kind of just overloaded pent up crazy energy too oh for sure with those guys yeah definitely so have you have you actually uh listened to you guys's old stuff in any time recently uh last time i listened to it was probably for the session stuff uh-huh yeah it's probably honestly that probably be the last time i listened to it what what was that like for you it was you know it was good because i because ian had pulled all this stuff out of the wood out of the woodwork that I hadn't even thought of, like hadn't even thought of for years. It was, and you could, again, you could hear that evolution of the, our sound and, you know, and, and we clearly were getting better as musicians from, you know, not knowing anything to like learning things right. and, and, and practicing. It's evident. Yeah. Even, you know, definitely within that, that, uh, that release, hearing that stuff again, like, what were you most most proud of or was there something that surprised you on there? Yeah, I would say like definitely like how in the early stuff, Bubba, Bubba I guess, hadn't really released himself, if you will. He <laughs> yeah. was much more confined mm-hmm. and then on Void Faith. Uh, definitely. Not, I can't speak to what happened with him, but clearly <laughs> there was like, you know, an element there where he was like, just said, screw it and just, you know threw the shit against the wall and just went crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely, uh, definitely evident, especially like even just, you know, recently for myself, for the show and just in general, putting on the faith void stuff versus, uh, the sessions or even to some degree, the, uh, the flexure head stuff. It's, you know, you guys are just fully, fully formed. It sounds like on, on the faith void release. Yeah. 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 So I guess uh, let's let's uh, get into that right now. Then, uh, like, what do you remember from from the sessions? Um, so that was. And sorry, I keep saying Faith Void. That's how me and my friends always called it. Not that no, that's no, our fine. preference. That's totally fine. No, 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 it's totally fine. Um, jeez, um, I want to say we did it in over a weekend, and you know, cut all the tracks earlier. And Ian was helping us out and Bert was helping us out. 
how were the what were their roles? Well, so I I think they were the gatekeepers, if you will, because <laughs> um, I, I cause we had never, I mean we been we had been into a studio before we were hit and run. They I think they, they they were yeah they were the more or less the gatekeepers by the sense of like they gave us ideas of what we could and couldn't do, uh-huh. um, and and of course like you know what we could do with us it wasn't just you know turning it up to 10, we had to pull a spinal tap and push it to 11. (laughs) Yeah. So when, you know, Ian said, let's do something funky with the guitar, this, we're like, yeah, let's do this. And (laughs) can we do this? Can we do that? You know, like, yeah, what about if we did this? And you know, all this (laughs) stuff. And yeah. Was there anything that he said, okay, that's too much guys. (laughs) Um, I'm sure if he, honestly, I'm sure if he did, he just kind of like looked this at us and went, yep, sure. We'll do that. And then he looked at Don and said, turn it down. (laughs) (laughs) And did he, so who came up with, uh, the, the track listing order and all that sort of thing? I think that was probably Bubba and Sean with the mix with, I think with an influence from me in there. Sure. Did you guys go in knowing how many songs you were going to record or? Like everything that's on there, is that what's from that session or was there? Yeah, pretty much. That's everything that was on there. You know, that's a good question. I wonder, because, you know, wow, I, I want to say we weren't aware that there was going to be a Void Faith record at that point. It yeah. was just going to be a record. That, that was going to so, be my next question. Like, Yeah, did- we were, I think maybe there was some, we weren't aware that there was, I don't think there was going to be an album per se, uh-huh. um, but we thought there was maybe there was a seven inch in, I think I honestly, I think we we're going in thinking it was going to be a seven inch. Oh, okay. Honestly. Cause that's way that's the way everything seemed to be going. Um, and yeah, so with discord thought, in general at that point. Yeah. yeah. So we just thought it was going to be a seven inch or, and, and look at, at the end of the day, we didn't think that much about it because we just appreciate it. Like, Holy crap. Like we're going to put this on a record and it's going to get, <laughs> what the hell? Like, you yep. know? And so, um, I think the, the thought in the back of our mind was it's going to be a seven inch and we'll pick the places. And then Ian came up with the idea, well, why don't we do this um, half record? And we're like, sure, that sounds great. And, and that's kind of how it came out. Oh, okay. So that was his, his vision to put you guys together with faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. And did you guys have already have like a relationship with, with them? I guess you'd already played a bunch of shows together. Yeah, we, I mean, we definitely did. I mean, I always looked, I mean, I always considered my Chris Bald my like bass brother in arms because he's just an awesome bass player and awesome guy. And so, yeah, I mean, just whatever. I mean, yeah. So we, I just, I knew him really well and um, clearly knew Alec and Mike and everyone else. I mean, yeah. There was there were when when Ian brought the idea up, there was just no questions. Like what there was no negative. It was like, yeah, yeah let's do it. It was a no brainer, huh? Yeah. Did you did you guys find any kind of kickback from crowds at all? Like I mean, obviously you guys had like intense energy and, and a lot of fast songs, but did did anybody kind of bulk at the metal influence or the uh well, it, it came up, as I tell everyone, Kenny anyway said it best. There was no gray area with us. It was either you loved us or you hated us. So <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> if you hate us, you walked out the Wilson Center. If you loved us, you were up, up front row and center. There was no mm-hmm. gray area. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, that kind of makes sense. If I think back, 
I only saw you guys one time and that was at Wilson center, but it was towards the end. Um, yeah. I saw you with uh beef eater and meat men. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I th- yeah, that was the show that uh, Fred from beef eater and uh, Tesco V had some kind of sumo wrestling match in between sets. Yeah, on stage. yeah exactly. But uh, yeah, you guys totally blew me away at that show. Uh, totally delivered as far as my my uh 14 year old brain you know <laughs> that i could take in and i uh, some other impressions i remember think me and my friends talking about like you know sean's drumsticks were like tree trunks they were like yeah. so big <laughs> i know and they probably did some damage to the crowd too uh-huh <laughs> right and uh bubba was definitely in his uh uh, glam phase yep. by that point exactly exactly yeah so like it was you know seeing you guys was kind of it was a lot to take in you know visually and uh here definitely changed my uh thoughts about music and just the honesty and intensity of your performance like totally uh, left an imprint on my musical direction yeah when we hit the stage like there was no there was no there were no you know, no fences or gates. We just gave one percent, and um, you know, and a lot of times that would come across because two songs in, Bubba's replacing guitar strings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've heard heard some live live recordings where <laughs> you can tell that happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it's a kind of a weird question, but performing the songs live, where would your where would your brain go when you were hit the first chords of the first song that's an interesting one to be frank with you uh-huh. i try to keep the the speeding train wreck together <laughs> uh-huh. as a bass player <laughs> yeah. so you know again learning from chris ball and bert and some of the other folks who, who were better musicians than me i felt like my my job was to sort of hold hold the 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 train wreck together, right? So I was doing my best to to keep up with Bubba, but also made sure that I was in step with Sean so that there was a solid rhythm section to it. So that was, you know, looking back, that would be my, that would be my idea to answer your question. I can't, I clearly can't speak for John, for sure. I can't speak for John because I, you know, he was <laughs> a different planet. But uh, yeah. that was, that's the first thing that would come to my mind is like, just make sure um, you know, that you hold down the, yeah, let's hold it down. And, yeah. and honestly too, like yeah, my brother was pretty good about that stuff. Like, cause he, he was our official quote unquote roadie. So he was there helping us, um, you know, if, if Bubba needed new strings or, you know, if his something happened, he was making sure that all the chords were back in the amps and everything else. And Sean had his drumsticks and everything else. So good thing too. And would he give you guys like, cues as far as the sound or the how it was going and all that yeah 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 definitely definitely think so i mean like but you know clearly like we had like what like maybe we're talking about like a 30 minute show and um moving that fast so he was more i think he was more in charge of like managing the chaos and making sure (laughs) that, that bubba had his string so that it was you know we were on time and everything yeah, like damage control. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if, if like, you know, someone fell into dr- Sean's drum sets, 
Like you help <laughs> them out and they could adjust Sean's drum sets. Right. Because you, I, you, I, you probably saw like at that show, like his drum set had gotten pretty big at that point. It was yeah. like double <laughs> bass drums. I mean, like we're talking like, you know, Neil Peart <laughs> Deluxe or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. The, the drum, his drums, his uh, intense, you know, how hard he hit Bubba with his kind of classic rock playing in between songs. Yeah. And uh, you know how John just looked like a guy who just wandered up there and became possessed. (laughs) It's well said. Well said. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, man. And honestly, uh, I would be intrigued by the, uh, you guys' side of the split and, but a lot, you know, for, for a long time, I could only listen to a handful of a few songs at a time because it was just so intense and so much to put my brain around. And you, you guys had all the scary kind of, uh, yeah, it's funny, like how that, I mean, the, the artwork, how that sort of evolved because that was, that was all Bubba's work. I mean, that was all his artwork. So yeah. Was, he did all the, all the, uh, graphics. Yeah. Yeah. He did all the graphics. He did all the graphics and then, and then it just kind of evolved from there. So I don't even know. I, honestly, that's a good, really good question because I don't even know how, I want to say he was, he had been drawing and stuff. You know, no, he was, he actually, he did it all. He had the layout and everything because if I remember correctly, all of a sudden I showed up at his house and Sean said, Hey, look, Bubba did it all. I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. That looks good. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He pretty great artist. And yeah. And, and so what he drew was that his, just uh, his input or would Sean actually have input as far as what he thought? No, I mean like as far as artwork goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was totally that was totally Bubba. That was totally okay. Bubba. Yeah. I mean, if anything, we just said, hey, what about if we put this here or put that there? But that was, you know, for the most part, that was all Bubba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sonically too, uh, you guys side of the split was pretty much unlike I mean anything going period at the time, but I was gonna say on Discord much less anywhere else but not even just the songs but the kind of uh things you guys were doing with uh the tape the tape uh shifting and the some of the a uh, couple little guitar kind of crazy overdub things going on yeah that was that's definitely that was definitely i mean that was not all us that was definitely influenced by burton and being there oh uh, well Interesting. So they were they were kind of having fun with with you guys. Is uh, yeah, yeah. That kind of brings us up to the infamous last album. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can never go an interview without the question. Yes. I know. <laughs> and you can keep it as uh, concise and brief as you want, because I know I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, you know, honestly, like not really because, um, I mean, to be frank, I mean, there's not a lot there. What you hear is, uh, is, you know, it's pretty simple. Like we just never released it. So, yeah. Was the, when it, when you guys did record it, uh, how did, what was your, like you personally, and just also the band itself's, uh, thoughts, like once you finished the recording? Um, 
Or was there fighting during it about? The, yeah, it was, yeah, that's sort of like the demise of it all. So that was, mm -hmm. you know, all of us had gone in our different directions. For me personally, it was, it was kind of a, I mean, we, I felt like I was banging my head against the wall because that summer we had tried to do, set up a, um, a tour across the United States mm -hmm. and we had um, saved up the money. Uh, another reason why I was grounded was because I jacked up my mom's phone bills calling all these places <laughs> for us to play. And then, uh, and we couldn't go because John had to go to um, summer school. So that was kind of a bummer. And then everyone's musical influence started to like peter out in different directions. So Bud was clearly this, like, to your point, was like, you know, become a huge glam rock guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sean was getting a little more into um, rap music and hip hop and go-go yeah. music. You know, I was, I was kind of like the rock and roll guy and, and John always still liked his um, classic rock. Huh. And, um, but anyways, by the time we hit the studio, I mean, we had a whole album of stuff that was in there, but it just wasn't, it wasn't gelling, you mm -hmm. know, as, 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 as the other stuff was. And, and so when we, you know, we were stoked on it at the time, but it clearly it just wasn't, it was, just wasn't working out. Sort of like, that was sort of like the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said, uh, like, so Sean was getting into some of that early hip hop and stuff like, yeah. Yeah. When at that punk, the Capitol screening where you did the talk and they showed the short video after of you guys, that, uh, kind of music video thing, it, it kind of almost seemed like a, uh, like a beastie boys video or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> That's interesting then. So, so Sean, whose original vision to some degree, the uh, kind of coalesced everything for the void sound lyrics, etc. He wanted, did he want the band to go in a hip hop direction? Like, no, 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 no. I mean like we, he, we definitely were, Definitely, we, we weren't, he knew we could, that, that would be like a <laughs> yeah. world 180 to do, pull that off. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it was sort of one of the things like where uh, MTV was happening and all this other stuff and people were growing their hair a lot longer and, and people were thinking, wow, we could make something out of it. You know what I mean? Just, mm -hmm. not, we're not kids anymore. And, um, you know, they don't th throw that on top of that. The layer of the fact that we were... Um, you know, the rest of us, except for Bubba, we're all going away to college or figuring out what we're going to do for college. Right. So, um, you know, like there was, we could see the end, basically. Everyone saw the end happening. Yeah, I wasn't, it just wasn't an exciting time to be in the band anymore. And also too, like, I mean, from a general thing too, like the scene was definitely changing. Um, mm -hmm. It was getting bigger and a lot more violent and, and you know, it wasn't, what I was alluding to earlier, like, you know, like DC and versus New York and Boston, like it was evolving into a DC, I'm sorry, it was evolving into like a more of a New York and Boston thing in the sense that, you know, we, the, the shows were getting a lot, lot bigger. Bigger, more A violent. lot of people you didn't know and violent, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because that's kind of where I came into the scene and you would see the different uh, factions the guys who the musicians and the guys from the scene from the earlier days and then the 
you know, a lot of the newer people were the ones with the mohawks or the skinheads or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not exclusively, but you know, you could, you could feel that. And over time, you know, talking to some of the, uh, the people that have been around for the, since the early days, it seems to be such a, a lot of pe- a lot of those guys dropped out during that time. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of those guys also dropped out just because they were going to college, too. (laughs) Sure. That was it. So, I mean, like, you know, um, yeah. So, what did you do immediately uh, after you guys broke up? I moved on to campus because I was, like, I was done with Columbia. And so, I took a chance on moving on to campus at Loyola College in Baltimore. Oh, okay. And and so, you got you got more serious about school and yeah. I don't know if I'd call it serious. But <laughs> I, I definitely tried to try my best. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and did you do, uh, did you attempt any, any music for a while after that? Or did that kind of sound? Yeah. You know, like after I got out of school, I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, we, I definitely, uh, fooled around but nothing dedicated like you know where we're going to go on tour or even get back on the stage just kind of jamming around here and there so like from those days like you know before the breakup time uh what what from that time would you say that you carry with you that uh impacted your life and you know maybe remained in your bloodstream till you know till today well i think the big honestly like the big thing is is integrity right um Mm -hmm. You know, coming out of that scene and um, being able to uh, integrity and DIY, I guess you'd say too, because you know, you know, you can do things, right? Yeah. Um, but That's you can only huge. do so much. But like, if you you can do it yourself, mm-hmm. and, and, well, whether albeit it was you know at that time of my life, albeit whether it was like building a skateboard ramp or having a band, you know, you, you knew you could do that. So there was a, this sort of that, that belief and having friends around you that help you do it is what I take away from it. Yeah. And that's huge. What, if anything, you know, would you do differently if, if you could do it over, if anything? Oof. Um, man. Well, just kind of you look back, right? And you think about where you are now versus where you were then. You know, you kind of wish, I honestly wish things had turned out better as far as that second record goes and how the band sort of unwound itself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that was, you know, but also that was the fact of the train wreck that we were, right? I mean, that, <laughs> that we, that's how we did things. And so that's, that's how that happened. Yeah, and kind of how it had to happen in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, would I have changed anything? I don't think so. No, I would have just, you know, I would have, I would have been cool if, if we could have done something, a second piece. But it was just, it, it, it was just every, all those things, you know what I mean? Like when you're, and you went probably through it too, right? Like you're a teenager and you're going through all this stuff and mm-hmm. um, you're just trying to figure out and Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, actually, there would be one thing I would say. Honestly, huh. there, I would say I would just say touring. If we'd gotten, if we'd played out a little bit more, that would've been freaking rad. That would, I mean, because when we played out, it was so much fun. I mean, like yeah. when we played New, that's what I said. Like when we played New York and Boston. I mean, the places we got to play out outside of DC, uh-huh. um, there's only four places we played. Whereas Boston, 
um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, South Carolina, huh. outside of the D.C. Baltimore area, and and New York, of course. And then yeah. th- you know that was just clearly so much fun to just play in front of a different set of crowd and mm-hmm. have that experience. Yeah, especially you know, of course, some of them probably know who you were, but there's just something about going to a town where you don't know hardly any of the faces and yeah, getting yeah, a reaction. Yeah. yeah. Was your son there at the, uh, it was my two girls. Yeah. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah, maker was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so they obviously know about your, your history and yeah. What, what's their take on it? Um, <laughs> the teenage girls are kind of, yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. About I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Do, do they do they look, you know? And I've got kids that are a little bit older than that. But yeah, like, do do you notice anything change when, like, say they see the way people talk to you uh, at those sort of things? Yeah, I, they do. I, but it, it's very minimal, right? <laughs> sure. They don't want to like admit to it, right? Because so, right. you're still yeah. the uncool dad, no matter yeah, what. Right, exactly. <laughs> I want to make I don't want to make him seem like he's too cool because then he might make me do something. <laughs> right you know anything that we didn't for you that we didn't uh touch on that that came to mind during during this oh, those are some i mean like those are some definitely different questions like especially like i like that one about like what would you have done differently like yeah man like that's that's that was a good one oh that's thanks for a loop there because i was like wait a minute yeah you're right like i mean would i have done anything differently and i uh, mean yeah it's hard to say it, it i'm sure for you for everybody it's like it feels like a lifetime ago, no matter what you did then and 30, 40 years later, you know? Yeah. So I think about that sort of thing all the time. And of course you wish you would have documented more or been appreciated more, but for myself, I should say. You, you know, know I, the thing is, I think to your point though, I think you brought up a really good point there is that it's not, um, what, what I think is pretty cool and why I wouldn't change it is the fact that you think about it now, like you get your, your, your information, anything you want is at your hand tips now, right? Mm-hmm. Think about, you take a deep look at back at look when we were growing up, like think about how did we get to a show or <laughs> yeah, how did we get around? Like we, sure there were maps, but how did you, or how did That's you- That's a very get, good point. That and- how did you find the records? How did you find the yeah. shows? How did you, yeah. you know, all that? Yeah, I mean, like it was, I mean, you think about like how did, uh, the sh- specifically shows at like Wilson Center and DC Space, right? I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so funny story that we had like, uh, so because we were in Columbia, Maryland, we were right on the cusp of, I guess, the 202 and the 410 area uh-huh. code. Yeah. So my mom again got so sick of all of the long distance phone calls calling into the two hundred two. We actually had, <laughs> had we had two phone lines: a two hundred two and a four one zero. Oh my god! That's <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, but yeah. Think about that, like uh, you know, or you wonder, like we would go skating somewhere, and you're like, you know, oh, we're gonna meet at this point to go skate, and and you're just you're gonna be there, right? Like I mean, like I yeah. guess you know, or you wait and they're going to, you know, show up there and, and then, and then, and then yeah, you couldn't sort of, micromanage the uh, meeting. You just had to be on faith with. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. And then like, you know, and then two, to my point, like thing for me is that that's kind of like how it kind of grew faster because the skateboard community was pretty tight knit. 
mm-hmm. and they were pretty, you know, and it was a very underground like stuff, like making that stuff happen. And like going like, that's the place we're going to meet up. We're going to this show. We're going to meet up there. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. And like I said, too, like people don't really skateboard in too was not like this X games thing. It was the same punk kids that were, were going to these small shows and playing or listening to this aggressive music were the same kids that were a handful of kids that were skateboarding in. Yeah. It's just a, a whole different different uh, paradigm in some ways. Oh, agreed, 100%. Yeah, and, you know, that I th- I've thought of that too. Like, when I hear uh, especially the, you guys' stuff on the split, it's, it's the kind of music that makes me want, you know, whether I know how to or not, like, do, like, some type of extreme sport, like, right that moment <laughs> you know <laughs> i want to grab a skateboard again i want to go rock climb i want to do something <laughs> yeah right 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 exactly right i mean like you know yeah it, just, it was sort of that ethos right and do something you know what yeah. i mean and i think like to your point earlier that's kind of like what you know you learn out of it's like do something don't sit on your ass oh yeah yeah that was huge i mean people weren't sitting around and not to make this a old times for better than new times type of thing because there's so many aspects that it is amazing you can find music from around the world of any time period at your fingertips but yeah i mean having to create your own uh entertainment and your own uh curate your own experience does have its pluses and then you know like you know i mean and to go that much further right so i'm thinking about you know like i'm thinking about like how i don't even know like i didn't don't even know about how the promoters got these shows going on, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, you know, we just simply got asked to play and there was no interaction between us and what would be now in common terms of promoter, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know, the how. or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, just that craziness. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess you guys didn't, I mean, you played out of town though, so it's similar, but going on tour, pre-internet was you had a a notebook with phone numbers and contact information and some uh directions and that was about oh it. man we, we didn't even have that like when we the first time we played <laughs> cbgb's uh-huh. um, we rolled up to penn station and thankfully somebody recognized like didn't we we were like we rolled the penn station with like going okay what are we, what are we doing? Oh, Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> we kind of looked around like, oh shit, what do we do now? Like, how do we get there? And, and I think Sean or John said, well, let's find, look, maybe somebody will be a punk and we can ask them. And sure enough, we asked this guy, these two, these two guys and like, and come to find out it was the end up being the, uh, I don't you remember that band Antidote. Oh yeah. 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 It ended up being, um, uh, the singer for Antidote. That, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so he showed us how to get there, and like, well, thanks, man. We'll get you in for free because uh-huh. you don't know anybody else. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, yeah, but I believe it. That's how it was. Yeah, like, would you do it differently? I'm like, yeah, that's a really good question. Like, I mean, because clearly, I, you know, last thing because I got to run. But like, basically, uh, it's yeah. funny because he was the only like Bubba was the only one who went the musician route. He's still a musician, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and none of us ever, none of us took those routes. Everybody else that I know in the band and, and that sort of the tentacles of that band all went on school and did something else. And right. he 
he stuck to his guns and he was a musician. So yeah. 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 Still doing great stuff. And did you guys, that made me think of one last thing as with every band from that period, did you get a, did you guys get approached with doing uh, reunion shows at all? We do, but it's just because Sean passed away. It's just a no go. Right. It wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I, I, I only. I mean, the best we had was at the sessions release. Bubba and I played with Andy Duvall, just kind of jamming out. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, let me let me let you go. Go be with your family. Get some food. Cool, Brian. It was good talking to you. Yeah, you too, man. That was a great interview. Um, I want to thank Chris for coming on. You know, Chris seems to be the one the one place to get interviews about Void because, well, we know Sean, you know, he passed away, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not ever seen an interview with John Wiefenbach or any idea where he may even be. And even Bubba Dupree is active. I have never seen him give an interview specifically about Void, at least not that many. But Chris, I know that there's an interview with him on YouTube and um, about Void, and he, you got some some great time with him. So I just appreciate that Chris came on. Definitely. You know, the one thing that I'm going to bring up is actually something that you brought up last week with the Faith side, and that is Ian's influence on the sound of this record. Oh, yeah. I meant to talk about that during our uh, main thing where we're just going. But, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. Yeah. Well, yeah, I brought. I wanted to bring it up because because Chris brought it up, mm-hmm. and you know, it just I can't help but think, you know, we're going to talk about the demos down the line, but you know, if you listen to the demos and then listen to this, especially the same songs, what you hear on the demos is something that is much more traditional. You don't have those totally out of control atonal guitars and feedback, which I think is something that people really, really love about the side of this record. 
And I think that Chris even basically admits that that stuff would not have even been there if not for Ian's influence. That Ian is basically the one that told Baba, you know, get that feedback, go nuts, go crazy, you know, go for it. And it makes you wonder if this side of the record would have been as hailed as it was if not for Ian's influence. Well, I think you're definitely on to something with that. I mean, for sure. And that's something that isn't widely talked about when when people discuss this record. Ian is definitely the uh, <laughs> almost like the the fifth member here. He's he is like the uh, Lee Scratch Perry or like uh, George Martin, whatever producer that really is you know just as important as the musicians and shaping the sound on this. Now, as far as, you know, Bubba's style, I, it kind of seems like it, as the demos went along, he did kind of slowly more and more find his uh, freedom to go wild. Like the uh, early demo, yeah, he, he's very re- rest- restrained, especially compared to here. Uh, by, by the flexure head, he's starting to he's starting to kind of loosen up and get get a little crazier and then he just all bets are off on this yeah well it's humanized no doubt but again remember who produced those sessions (laughs) true true and and yeah and and i think that's kind of a theme that'll come up a lot in the upcoming releases as well ian's kind of the uh the svengali i don't know about (laughs) uh he's he's kind of like the uh the guy over in the corner encouraging encouraging the guys to like yeah you you could definitely jump off there you know you could go even higher you know <laughs> jump off that ledge do it and you know on on here he def his his you know his prints are all over this all the different tape manipulation uh a lot of the uh more extreme elements yeah you know it's if you dive into interviews, dive into the history of this, a lot of that's his uh, his encouragement. So, yeah, that's super important to mention. This would sound like a whole different thing without him. Yeah, and I would say that if people have, if, if there's people out there who have only ever heard Void from this side of the record, and I think that's probably a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people who love Void, that all comes from this 12, 13 minutes of music. And I think that if you just want to retain that idealized vision of Void as being, you know, the unhinged chaotic force that they were, Mm -hmm. I would say maybe don't listen to the demos. And I would say definitely do not listen to Potion for Bad Dreams because it may taint a little bit that idealized vision because that's, that's not all Void were definitely i mean there was definitely a trajectory another thing that we didn't mention that's kind of interesting to point out as well i feel like is you know they record my rules twice on release it twice which is pretty unheard of uh especially on discord like i think ian kind of had an unspoken policy of not releasing a second version of the same song by artist at least up to this point so that's kind of a you know, I I should have asked Chris about what the story was behind that. I guess they slipped it in under his nose. <laughs> I guess so. 
So what do you think about the other point I made, which is more subjective, and that is, you know, talking about the record as a whole. And my final listen today was I listened to the entire thing. I listened to the faith side and the voice side as a complete entity. Oh. And what is your feeling about the fact that the void side is the only side that's even worth discussing when it comes to this record? Does it does it that does it overshadow the faith side to that extreme? Hmm. <laughs> well, well, I'll I'll just I'll pick this up. You know, I don't think so. I mean, it's not black and white. It's not, you know, because the void side is so innovative, so out of this world, so just unrepeatable. Uh, you know, it it is hard to put put any other band on the other side. And that does that make uh, the faith side invalid? No, no, definitely not. The faith side has some great stuff on it. As much as this is like the, the blueprint for classic split LPs, I still, you know, I do. I, I play one side or the other. I don't ever play both. And I don't know if that means I'd rather them be really, if they were released separately or if it's just how it happens that I, that I can only, you know, I, it, it's, it's like apples and oranges. It's, it's rare that I'm in the mood for faith and I'm also in the mood for void. Yeah. We had this discussion last week and that's what you said. And I said that I like listening to this record as a whole. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, for me, the, the, the release is the thing. It's, it's the way that I want to listen to it. You know, and, and both sides of the record, they're obviously independent of each other and they're, mm. you know, essentially separate records that just share a piece of wax. But, you know, the Faith, Void, they're both bands that are pointing in the direction of a new style. Yeah, of a couple of new they're styles. Both, yeah. They're both like those first branches off of the main trunk of a tree. And the faith are looking forward to the Revolution Summer, a more melodic type of mm-hmm. hardcore, a more type of emotive. And I love listening to that. And then you flip it over, and then you have Void, who come from that same, those same roots, but are, are, are veering off into a more, a more chaotic, a more violent sounding More type twisted of and, like you said, atonal. And I think that, I think the two sides complement each other. I think very, very I think well. They do I just can't listen to them together still? And one thing, as we we're talking about, that that's interesting that that came to me is that both bands live. Unfortunately, we don't have those videos of Faith live, at least not yet. Uh, but both bands live were supposedly just total explosion. I mean, yes, I did see Void, but I didn't see Faith, you know, unfortunately. But both were supposedly just pure, unbridled energy and chaos live. So I guess they do have that in common. And, you know, I don't know. It would have been interesting. I, You know, of course, it didn't happen, so whatever. But here's one thing. I saw a show, you know, much later with, with Alec, with, with Ignition where it was Ignition and Lungfish playing together. And what they did was each band played a song from the other band in their set, like did a cover of each other's songs. And 
that was really cool. Like that would have been really interesting to hear uh, hear the faith do a void song and vice versa. Yeah, that 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 definitely would have been an interesting thing. I guess we are deprived of ever having heard that. But you know, you could definitely put together a tribute record based on based on the two sides of this record. I mean, True. so many bands have covered the songs in this record. It's become a seminal record, and I would like to think it's not just for the Void side. Yeah, no, yeah. This is... Uh, Don't get me wrong, you know. I'm not a... I, I, just because I like the, the, the side separate and because I love the Void side and also really like the Faith side doesn't mean that I, I'm not an extremist. Yeah, it's... I, it, for me, this is a seminal record because of both sides of this record and where both sides... And not just the fact that both sides are pointing in new directions for the music, but both sides, to me, are still great today. Mm. So, I guess I feel like the Faith side is closer... And, you know, this is going on. I'll edit some. But, like, to me, the Faith side is akin to where Void were maybe on Flex Your Head... So if the faith side would have been the subject to change material and then the void side, what it was like, then I would feel like both sides were hands down classic. And I think that's maybe what it is to me. I feel like the the faith stuff is great, but it's not as developed as where the void void uh, period is on there. Yeah, I think I think that's actually I think that's a really fair point. I think that the faith side is a little more closer to subject to change than people give it credit for. It is, for. actually, yeah. And that comes out in certain specific songs, though. Not, you know, it doesn't come out in a song like Face to Face. I think it comes out in songs like, you know, the ones we picked for the playlist last week. Yeah. Either way, it this is it's a great record. Um, I love both sides. I think I love the faith side more than most people yeah. do. And if anything, I don't think anyone needs convincing about the Void side, True. but I think that people should, maybe if they're not in the mood for it right in that moment, at some point, really give the Faith side a fair shake. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was funny how in a <laughs> in a thread of, of comments about uh, last episode that, you know, even Chris Bald kind of made a, a joking comment about... Uh, that he prefers the the void side and he's ready for the onslaught of uh, the hordes to come once we <laughs> talk about the void side. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know. So I think we're at that spot. You know what? We're we're ready for the playlist, right? Right. So I'm gonna say this every time, but if you go to Spotify, um, well, this podcast is on Spotify, but we also have end on end the ever-evolving Discord mixtape. You can get that a, give that a follow. And every week we will add our picks to the playlist. So I think that I went first last time. Mm -hmm. So it's your turn. Give me, what is your playlist choice for the Void side? Oh, God. This was a fucking hard one for me. I could have chose four different songs, like equal measures. Uh, it's hard because some of these songs, like, uh, like I've loved since day one, and a couple of them have really grown on me since. And so I, 
I lean towards the ones that have grown on me versus the ones that immediately like so my rules you know was it's just so obviously a, a classic great song that I kind of gloss over that being my choice who are you is also a classic which is so close for me to 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 pick but I'm gonna have to go with uh, the dark horse here and uh, pick the one that really is I don't know intrigued me and just to me sounds super innovative because it's tucked back in the back of the record and it just has these different moments in it that that every time I hear it just kind of give me a jolt give me a like give me juice make me want to go create some music and that would be think that's going to be my uh my choice for this i love it i love the underdog choices think is a great choice it's a great choice it's it's a crazy song it's got (laughs) crazy crazy lyrics um i think that if i do hear metal in the music anywhere it's probably on this song yeah um, and like I said, I do get that uh, that bad brains vibe, especially in the vocals. I, I get a real HR vibe. From I'm gonna that. have to listen to it with that that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's even a specific bad brain song in mind I had, but I just can't think which one. You know, I could just kind of hear HR's mm-hmm. voice going. Well, I'm I'm gonna go uh, because you you got the underdog choice that liberates <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna go to for? pick the most? To pick the most obvious choice, but I have to pick it. I'm going to pick the leadoff track. Who are you? Yeah, I love everything about it. I love, I love the lyrics, the opening guitar riff, the uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the first song that I heard, and hearing hearing that screaming feedback, you know, all these improper things for a upstanding song. Upstanding. <laughs> You know, it just it just throws it all in the blender. Yeah, I love the crazy chaotic instrumental passages with the bass kind of holding down the fort almost, and mm-hmm. everything about it. It's such a perfect song. It it's, really it's is such a perfect song. It's it's a classic, and it might be the most obvious choice. But you know, "Time to Die" was definitely a candidate. I know. Yeah, that is amazing um, song too. Again, you know, the lyrics are just so vicious. The music is vicious. Riefenbach's delivery is vicious. You know, it's a shame that he didn't do more. I, I really love his vocals on this record. He really makes it. They all, you know what? They all really bring something to the table to create this. You know, it would not have sounded. Yeah, you can't replace any would, one of them. Yeah. No, they each bring such a distinctive thing to the table, and they're each doing, and they're each going for it. You know, it's it's lightning in a bottle. That's what this side of this record is to me. And so I'm going to pick Who Are You? Yeah, it's a great pick. And yeah, I mean, just to, you know, go on some more as if we haven't enough already. Like, you know, the way it starts with that, the feedback, you know, that kind of low rumbling feedback. It's like, OK, here's your the start of what could be many punk songs. But then it does that abrupt stop with with the squ- the squeal uh from uh bubba and just like just does that choppy intro like out of it oh my god and just jumps in it's so good yeah it's unlike anything else you've heard on discord that opening rock and roll guitar riff you know it goes from this opening rock and roll go guitar you know blah, this opening classic rock and roll guitar riff and then just 
becomes a tornado of sound mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing it's everything it's everything that i love about horror yeah man good choice good choice good choice by you too that's that's a great out of the box choice probably definitely not the obvious yeah one, i mean i hesitated I love, I love it because of it i hesitated i don't want to just be the i didn't want to just pick something that you know just to pick the more the record store guy version of of what you know the most obscure song but it, it's such a good song that's why so anyway you know i god i i i hate to almost end this episode because <laughs> void or it's just so good it's, ah but uh well discord 171 yeah. many who knows when uh we'll, we'll get to do this all over again true i cannot wait yeah so you know any any uh final final thoughts on on void or you feel complete i think it's good. I've, you know what? I've been living with this record for the last two weeks. It's something I really love about doing this podcast, by the way, is, I mean, I like blabbing about music with you for sure, <laughs> but I just love digging really deep into these records. Yeah. And I've had the Faith Void record on my shelf, you know, for, for, for many, many years. And I, I feel like I've never gotten to know it as well as I know it right now. And so I'm really looking forward to doing that with, with all the records that we're going to be exploring. Yeah, it's a great point, man. Thanks for saying that. Like, same for me. Uh, some of these, like this side, I mean, I've lived with, you know, very intimately for a long time. But it, it's so fun to really go granular on these songs, on the releases, on the history, and just really uh, try to hear it with, like, brand new ears. Like, that, that is fun. Like, to try to hear it as if you'd never heard it before. Like... That's, you know, that's gives me new new uh, blood, man. Yeah. And it's not just pulling a record off the shelf once, listening to it, putting no. it back. I mean, you know, to prepare for these episodes, you know, I live, I live with these records all week long, you know, and you really get to know them. And, uh, you know, it's almost feel a little sad, you know, you put <laughs> it away, you, you put it back on the shelf, but it's, it's there to be had. And, you know, you look forward to spending a week with, with the next record. Mm-hmm. So. What record are we going to be spending this next week with? So we are really switching gears for next week. Uh, we go from, uh, you know, this this release, this side of uh, the release, this, you know, the wild, woolly chaos of Void, to the uh, American street oi of Iron Cross. Skinhead Glory, another strange one for Discord, but, uh, you know, again, another legendary historic record. Controversial, fuck yeah, uh, but it's going to be really interesting to get into, and we're going to talk to uh, a couple of the people on it. It's going to be a fun ride, I think. It's definitely going to be fun. I, I look forward to getting into that one, look forward to talking about some away. And, you know, I just want to say to people out there, you know, um, again, thanks for the feedback we get. I definitely enjoy, I've enjoyed doing this since I've come on board. And yeah, you add a lot, man. Thanks for, thanks for doing it. I I appreciate you saying that. That, that means a lot, uh, a lot to me. But if you like what we do, you know, uh, like, 
you know, geeking out with us on these records. That's what we like to do. You know, again, it's not everyone's, it's not what everyone wants to do with music, and that's that's fine. But it's what we like to do with music. Hopefully, it's what you like to do as well. And spread the word. You know, the rate and review thing on iTunes or whatever you do is is very helpful. Um, but just uh, appreciate anyone who who listens to this every week. So. Yeah. For me, I'm over and out, and uh, I'll throw it back to you for a final goodbye. Yeah, man. And just to piggyback on that, just for sure, like, you know, any any kind of commentary, any reviews, any, uh, you know, even just uh, opinions about what we've said, whether it's agreeing or disagreeing, I love seeing that stuff. So keep them coming, man. <clears throat> That's It's what part of what this is about is continuing the dialogue creating this ever-going conversation you know it's these releases warrant it and that's what it's about for me so yeah all right until we uh see you guys again